All the background music that you'll hear in today's episode is from Salgueru's Samenheiru from 2020. Welcome to the Brazilian Beat, episode 99 with Dr. Brian Potts from Miami, Florida. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music-making community, one interview at a time. I'm Diana. And this is Courtney. Hello, Diana. How are you? I'm okay. I'm wake, trying to wake up. <laughs> I just took a nap and I'm still groggy, but... Podcasting groggy. Yes. Well, today on the show, we have Brian Potts. Dr. Brian Potts. Yes. He is a versatile performer and dedicated educator with a passion for Brazilian percussion. Under the tutelage of Dr. Ney Hosaru at the University of Miami, he became enamored with the sound and capabilities of modern pandeiro techniques. His degrees culminated with a doctoral essay based on an interview with the great Marcus Suzano. This essay has become an invaluable reference for panderistas the world over. Also, Brian works closely with Pandero Hippiki Duo, comprised of Bernardo Aguiar and Gabriel Policarpo, with whom he founded the Brazilian percussion supergroup PRD Maish in 2016. In addition to his love of Brazilian music, Brian has sought to help make the Pandero an international and limitless phenomenon by adapting the instrument to a wide variety of styles, including jazz, funk, soul, Latin, and classical music. In his clinics, Brian strives to relate the versatility of the pandero by utilizing modern techniques that allow students to approach the instrument in creative and, interact- and interactive fashion. So it was a fun conversation with him. Yeah, it he has, was. He's done so much cool stuff. Mm-hmm. It's uh, inspiring. Yeah, the opportunities he, he made for himself have yeah, totally. been really cool. Super cool. your wallet's feeling fat is it weighing your purse down is it weighing your pockets down uh hichimo solidario is still feeding sambistas in rio so if you um are feeling like you have the resources to help them check it out go to thebrazilianbeat.com and click on one of our episodes and there'll be information there on how to send money to sheena duastasio through um, the paypal link that we have there so go check it out he's doing wonderful work helping feed um, Batseria members from Brazil's top samba schools. After you first donated to Hichimo Solidario, mm-hmm. consider joining our global community on Kofi slash the Brazilian Beat. Give us your support, and we do appreciate it quite a bit. Oh yeah, amazing. Yeah. Also, if you there are free ways to support us by telling your friends, tell your samba friends about the podcast, and please rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can now rate us on um, Spotify as well. Oh. Yeah, it's a new thing this year. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Another sponsor of this show is GoSamba.net. Check it out when you get a chance. GoSamba.net. It's uh, Samba drums, gear, equipment, straps, everything you need. Thanks. And I hope you all enjoy this interview with Dr. Brian Fox. Yeah. 
How's it going tonight? Hey, I'm fine. How are you, Courtney? I'm doing fantastic. Who do we have tonight? Tonight, we have someone from the East Coast, from Miami. We have Brian Potts, Dr. Brian Potts. Welcome. <laughs> hello, hello, Courtney and Diana. Nice to uh, nice to kind of e-meet y'all here. Exactly. Um, I think it's always super cool about the world of Samba here in the United States anyway, and how we kind of all find each other, you know, and, oh, and yeah. certainly social media has helped that cause a lot in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever it's been. But it's uh, super cool now to be able to connect with people because you grow up in one spot and like maybe there's you and a few other people who do it in that certain area. Mm -hmm. But what, what we're all finding out is just how many of us there are around the U.S. and around the world. So it's super cool to meet you. all mm -hmm. yeah. Good to meet you and have you here. Yeah, the Brazilian bug has bitten a lot of people in the United States. <laughs> yeah, we're all slowly finding each other. One hundred percent. Yeah, no. Every time I come back, I feel like I'm an evangelist, and I'm just yelling at people about how amazing it is down there. And and a couple of people respond, and I've gotten more people into it over the years for sure. But then every once in a while, like you meet one of us. Right. And it's like, oh, we can go for hours and talk about all this, you know? Like, <laughs> and uh, you don't feel like such a weirdo. I, that's what right. my feeling is. When I met Brazil oh. Camp or something where all the nerds come together, I'm like, oh, man, I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> I'm not alone. Yep. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we like to start from um, the beginning of people's lives. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And what was your first exposure to music? I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Um, and my first exposure was definitely my parents, uh, even though my family is not from Texas originally, my dad moved there. Uh, he was originally from Missouri. My mom was originally from New Jersey, but they were both in, I believe the, the very first music engineering degree class at oh. university of Miami, Wow, which is also where I ended up going to school as well too. Um, and so from an early age, yeah, music was a big part of the household. Uh, listened to a lot of records around the house, a lot of Steely Dan, a lot of James Taylor, a lot of Pat Metheny, um, whole host of different stuff. Mm -hmm, uh, nice. But they were, yeah, they were always, you know, playing around the house. We always had a piano in the house, guitars in the house. Um, so that was, that was always there with them. It's hard to kind of define an initial moment, you know. Mm. Cool. But, uh, but growing up there in, in Texas was... Uh, um, was a different lifestyle than the one that I'm currently living in Miami for sure. Uh, however, I, I learned a lot of things by growing up in that part of the world and, and especially my intro into, into drumming. The thing that put sticks in my hands was, uh, marching band, uh, DCI, that whole world. I didn't mm -hmm. do DCI, but I was like, you know, I was hanging around those people like Texas mm -hmm. and Marching band in Texas is a, is a thing, as yeah. I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in southern Missouri, so yeah, same. Uh, football okay, so, and marching band. <laughs> so you understand. These things go mm -hmm. hand in hand, mm -hmm. and there's tons of funding for the music school mm -hmm. or, or the, you know, the band program and all that sort of stuff. And so we had a really big band program. We had a great drum line. Uh, I played in a jazz band there. I had a really good youth orchestra that I was a part of. That was the first thing that got me to like leave the country, which I think was super important. Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life mm -hmm. and um you know a, a ton of different things however none of them were brazilian that that certainly didn't happen until later what was your first trip out of the country my first trip out of the country was with um the greater dallas youth orchestra i think i was 14 and we went to 
England and Scotland, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was the first one. And we did a couple of those European tours. And as just a kid growing up in Texas, it was really super important for me because it was, uh, I got my head broken open a little bit, you know, in a good sense, just by being somewhere outside of Texas, which is very, very, very insular. You know, um, like we take three years of Texas history in, in school, yeah, you know, like they, they <laughs> nail this stuff into your head. And like for, I mean, a good chunk of my childhood, I was like, I'm going to go to UNT. I'm going to play in a drum line. And mm-hmm. I told my parents I was going to be in a professional drum line mm-hmm. <laughs> and being music engineers. They were like, that, that doesn't exist. That's not real. It doesn't happen. here." <laughs> and, um, and you know, I felt like I was just going to stay in Texas and that was going to be my, my, my entire life. But leaving the U.S. for the first time, it gives you a great perspective on looking back at us mm-hmm. and why we do things the way we do or just even noticing things and seeing how people react to uh, U.S. citizens abroad and all that sort of stuff was very interesting for me. It, it was just it was like a, a, I, I remember feeling like this this like sense of like, wow, there, there is a real world outside of (laughs) this area, you know, like until you actually see it, you can read books, you can watch movies, you can do all these things, but they're just like these little places in your imagination. until you go somewhere and you Mm -hmm. see it for real. And that I think has a really big uh, impact on, on your ability to think outside of this country and think Mm -hmm. outside of the, the region that you live in. For sure. I think a lot of the reason why we have this kind of um, issue of, of many people here in the U S thinking that U S is number one, USA, USA, this is the best country in the world is because most people don't leave. And a lot you of know? that is right. even amplified in Texas for people mm-hmm. oh, for sure. who are outside the U S listening to this, even in Texas, it's even more so. Yeah. Yeah. Texas is like, it's the most, uh, uh proud state I would imagine in terms of like its status as they, you know, they, they teach us all the stuff. I, it's still burned in my brain. We were the only state that was our own Republic for a while. We're the only ones that can fly our flag the same height as the American flag. Like there's a whole host really? of these things. Yeah. We have our own power grid, which became famous last year for not great reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have the right to secede at any moment. I think there's all kinds of crazy stuff that's just written in there. That's hilarious. Um, and that we learn. And so like, yeah, growing up in Texas, it's super, super insular, even more so than I think the rest of the rest of the U S but I like a lot of my family is from like Kansas city. Um, you know, I have a family in Iowa and Nebraska and like all up the center of the country, you know, it's, it's very different. I think than maybe coastal cities for sure. Miami is a much different mix than than where I grew up in Dallas but I thought that was so important for me just to get out of the country you know how, how old were y'all when you got out of out of the U.S. for the first time well you were 14 right Did yeah I was four, yeah 14 that's, that's young yeah I uh, was go ahead Diana I think oh I went to Europe when I was, uh, well, I mean, I had been to Mexico before because I'm oh, Latina, okay. um, but. Is your family from there? Uh, yeah, actually my family, I have a lot of family in Texas myself, actually. Mm. Um, but I went to Europe when I was, I don't know, 26. That was my first trip abroad like that. But yeah, it totally opened my eyes. Yeah, I think it really marks you and you just kind of like think about things differently when you when you come back. And it made the whole concept of, of you know, international travel and leaving all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff a little bit easier to deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, that was that was definitely super super important for me uh, to help me. It was two things. It was that, and it was also I had a, a Spanish teacher in I must have been late junior high or early high school who gave me a CD uh, of this Cuban big band Cubanismo mm. with Jesus Alame. Do you know this mm-hmm. band? Oh, of course. Okay, yeah, they're amazing. I love this band, yeah. and it was completely new to me at the time. But she knew that I was in the drum line. She was like, you're a percussionist, right? And I was like, yeah. yeah. She goes, you'll love, you'll love this. Here's a CD. They're coming, they're going to be in town next week. You should go check it out. And so I went home and I listened to the CD and I was just like, I didn't understand anything I was listening to, you know, like I couldn't place the instruments in my head because I was so used to listening to other music. And I go to see the show and the entire percussion section is at the front of the stage. You're like, yes. I've never seen this before. I've been in orchestras in the back, you know, way behind like 70 other people, you know, even marching band. They throw us to the back of the field a lot of those mm-hmm. stuff. It was never, we don't come from a very percussion centric uh, musical culture, especially like in band and that sort of stuff in especially, high school. Yeah, you know? especially band where it's like 45, two, three, four, <laughs> ding. Uh huh. <laughs> One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's rampant percussophobia here in the United <laughs> States, and it kind of manifests itself in that world by yeah. uh, usually like their, you know, problem kids are thrown in the percussion section, mm-hmm. or it's like, oh, you couldn't make it on saxophone, so we're going to throw you in the pit or something. You know, mm-hmm. like that's kind of like what we're relegated to. And this is the first time that I saw like percussion as like the focal point of the thing. And also it was the first time that I saw just people up and dancing at a concert like that, because normally, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when we go into like the Meyerson to see the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, you know, you're not getting people up in the aisles the <laughs> right. same way. That <laughs> is, that's for sure. Um, and so that, that 100% marked me. That was when I thought, oh, I have to be closer to this music. This is super interesting to me. I got way into mostly Cuban stuff. Um, I, I, you know, got super infatuated with, uh, Giovanni Hidalgo. Mm-hmm. I remember going to see him at PASIC in Dallas and mm-hmm. like, uh, he was playing the after, like the after show, one of the nights at the bar there. And I got there a super early so I could set up like right in front of him and just like be right there to watch. And he goes up there to sound check and he just hits one slap. And I had to like go to the back of the <laughs> bar because it was so loud. Wow. I'd never been around it played <laughs> like that before, you know? Right. Like right next to somebody know. who could really yeah. play. I had like a set of like LP Aspires at home and some DVDs or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I was trying, but like I hadn't really heard this stuff before. <laughs> and when I heard that guy That's play, awesome. I was like, Whoa. Jesus, I got to be around that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that sent me to Miami. Uh, and wait, uh, what do you mean? I'll, just be, to study that style? Yeah, to be closer to that music. Closer to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a percussionist. Um, what was her name? Ruth Kahn, who was uh, um, she taught at Eastman School of Music, and I did a mm-hmm. summer camp with her with that youth orchestra I mentioned earlier. And I remember talking with her about all of this sort of stuff and like Cubanismo, and she could tell that like I was interested in this other world and not as much in the like legit percussion that I was there to study, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And she goes, so, so what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm super interested in this music. And she goes, well, you should go to the University of Miami. And, and I was like, do they teach us there? She goes, I don't know, but it's Miami. <laughs> 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 then you'll be closer to all this stuff. I was like, mm-hmm. that's a really good way to look at it. Right. <laughs> you know? That's funny. And, uh, I don't know. And, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. You know? uh, um, you're just going to be closer to the actual culture, mm-hmm. and that's what really is important. 
And uh, so I looked at UM, and then it turned out that the guy who was teaching at UM was Ney Rosaro, um, mm-hmm. who became my portal to all of this Brazilian music, mm-hmm. and who I already knew because of his famous marimba concerto. I'd already played a couple of his pieces. So when I saw that he was teaching there, it was like, okay, this is where I have to go. And also, I auditioned at like Berkeley and UNT and Miami, and the additions for all this were in February. And at those places in February, it's probably like it is in Portland right now. <laughs> and in Miami in February, it's pretty much like it is right now. Like, yeah. just like, this is sweet. <laughs> beautiful. You know, and like you could see the sun in the sky and you just didn't have this like oppression of like brown and gray over me. I, for me, it really spoke to me. And and I've lived down here ever since. I, and I tell people like this is about as far north as I ever want to live. Hmm. Like I've broken my own rule because we moved up to Vero Beach during the pandemic, which is like two hours north of Miami. Mm. So it's into central Florida. It's and, and it's definitely a different temperature, but like that, this is about as much winter as I could do, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So once you uh, went to Miami, did you start studying classical music, classical yes. percussion? That was my vehicle. Mm-hmm. I was still doing classical percussion. What I got in on was classical percussion. Um, but what I really appreciated about that school um, was two things. First was was Ney. Um, the, he, I couldn't have found a better teacher for me at that point in my life. Like it was just, it was a perfect, perfect match. I was so, so lucky to get to work with that guy because he was very, you know, A, because he was Brazilian and opened me to all this sort of stuff. But B, because he was so incredibly supportive of people uh, finding their own creative voice and following the things that interested them in music rather than like prescribing like, all right, you have to play this and you have to play this and you have to do this and you have to do this. Hmm. It was way more open-ended, which allowed me to, you know, not only continue to do the classical stuff I was doing with him, which was mostly like, you know, uh, formalit marimba solos, vibraphone solos, contemporary percussion ensemble lit, that kind of stuff. Not so much of the orchestral excerpt world. Um, but I did that stuff. And then I also got to take part in the jazz school at UM, which is one of the best jazz schools in the country. And so like they, you know, they have a salsa band that I got to play in there. Um, the CJB, which is like their, their one o'clock lab band you know like the the high level jazz mm-hmm. band at the school mm-hmm. they need a percussionist every once in a while and you jump in on those you know i played in the r&b ensemble i did all this stuff that like what i do in the world now is much more that actually um but it, it allowed me to kind of like fit in with a bunch of different styles and play in that kind of like rhythm section role where i got to make creative choices in the moment and like improvise and and use a lot of things that I, I wasn't doing so much in the classical world. Um, however, I will say that the classical world uh, really helped me form my brain about how I think about music and how I can like codify and mm-hmm. write things down. Mm-hmm. I, I know that was one of the things that really connected me with a lot of my friends in, in Rio currently was just that like, you know, that I would, uh, when I got together with Bernardo for the first time or Gabrielle, we would sit down, they'd play something and I would just immediately write it down in my write notebook, like mm-hmm. study for later. And they were just like, how can you do this? And I was like, cause this is all I know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, they trained me to do this, you know? So, um, 
so uh, that was really really helpful and 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 it's it's who i am um and and i still have a love for for that music even if i don't like follow it or play it as much in a professional sense um but it really really formed me um and nay was a big big part of that in in letting me uh, have a creative voice, follow the stuff I want to do. He was the guy that got me into Pandero, into Marco Susano, mm-hmm. um, all this sort of stuff came through him. So I, I was I was super happy with my choice to UM to the to the point that I just stayed there for <laughs> uh, like twelve years. I think I was there pretty much. Mm. I, I bounced out in the middle of my doctorate a little bit, but I did all my degrees straight oh, through right at one on. school. Yeah. Well, you brought up. Uh, Marcus Susano, can you tell us? You did your PhD, like dissertation. What do you call it? Like a paper on him? Yeah, I think it was a doctoral essay because okay. it was. Um, I have a DMA, uh, Doctorate of Musical Arts, uh, gotcha. which I think PhD is like if you get a mu- musicology, that's a PhD, or music education is a PhD. But ours was just doctoral DMA. or a Doctorate gotcha. of Musical Arts, DMA. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but uh, I still had to write a paper much to my chagrin. <laughs> um, and it still had to be long and it still had to be cited and it still had to be formatted and all the other stuff. That, Do you have uh, to get it like published in like a music journal? And I didn't get it that? published in a music journal. It's published through UM. They, okay. they mm. published it as well uh-huh. too. Um, uh, but I think if, if I were a PhD, I think that's like the extra steps that I would have yeah. had to take for all yeah. that sort of stuff. But um, it was it was a really, really good experience um, because... So my, my, my admiration for Susano started the very first year that I did the, um, uh, the, the class at UM because Nay was teaching a percussion techniques class where he would go through all of the instruments and, you know, uh, we would have xylophone day and we would have, you know, a timpani day. And then we got to like towards the end of the semester and he would do the more fun stuff. And, you know, there was one day that was Brazilian day and he's brought out all the instruments. We had a Brazilian ensemble at UM that would play samba and maracatu and bayan frevo, all these different styles. So we had instruments there. And he brought out all these bandeiros. Um, I was like fresh off a big Glenn Velez kick, mm-hmm. um, as like especially like the last year of high school going to Pasek and seeing his clinic there. I was just like, this is incredible what this guy is doing with this tiny little drum. So I instinctively picked up the pandero and held it like a rick, you know, vertically. And I remember mm. Nay just like grabbed it out of my hand. He's like, no, that's <laughs> not what we do here. You turn it this way. You hit it with your thumb. Oh, now it's heavy and this hurts. Like you made this worse. <laughs> but, but I remember him playing and just being like blown away by the sound of like the head and how much it spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and he, he put on Marco Susano's, uh, Samba Town, which was the first uh, record I think that he put out that he recorded with an engineer in Nashville, Jim Ball. And it was just this massive, massive sound of the Pandero. It was like after Oyuji Pesci, the uh, album with Lenini, mm-hmm. and one where he was just really focusing in on the sound of this, this Pandero and what it could be when it's recorded in the studio. And the first tune um, just starts off with this, this huge massive sound and like i couldn't wrap my head around that this was coming from that same little drum that nay was holding it's like how is this possible you know like 
And this is well before YouTube uh, yeah. or any kind of like video resource for this sort of thing. So like I put it together over years of like Nay kind of explaining what he knew a little bit about it. Um, you know, meeting other Brazilians at at University of Miami and talking with them and getting recommendations for albums like Oyeji Pesci and things like that, getting further and further into it. Um, but I just I got obsessed with that instrument since I was yeah like eighteen or nineteen whenever I heard it the first time, and I became like the guy who would just carry that around campus all the time. You know, you would just see there's that guy with a bad haircut and a tambourine walking tambourine. around campus. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Tambourine man. I, except for the week where I tried to play beat and bow, and then I was the guy with a fishing pole. Oh. But, <laughs> but <laughs> tambourine was mostly my 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 uh, my forte, and um, so I would I would constantly practice that thing. And because like my introduction to Pandera was Susano, I thought it was totally normal to just play backbeat like funk stuff on the Pandera. I'm like, that's what it's for. You know, I didn't really learn it as a Samba instrument mm -hmm. first. I learned it as a Susano mm -hmm. style instrument. And so I would constantly like throw it onto my recitals. I would, I would try and like do collaborations with other musicians at the school. And then, um, you know, as I kept going along through the degree, I, I could feel myself kind of separating between like the stuff that I had to play in order to like do these recitals and get the degree and the stuff that I really enjoyed spending time on, which was Bandero and Brazilian music and all this sort of stuff that wasn't necessarily the focus of my, um, of my total degree. So I, that kind of like broke me after a while, you know, after many, many years of doing that and just kind of having this separation within me all the time. Um, cause you had I, to do that other stuff, right? To I had to, be able there was to no, get through school. Yeah, you there was no avoiding it. it and it takes a ton of time to do cause it's yes. learning like 15 page, <laughs> atonal through composed right. marimba music where nothing <laughs> right. repeats. And it's just like, Oh, this is pain. And, and every I remember measure is like a different time everything signature. Everything is different, and... different time signature. Like you have to switch instruments and switch right. mallets. It's just I horrific. that stuff too. It sucks. <laughs> And like, I, and there was a lot of the stuff that I really loved. A lot of Nay's music was very different. It was very much more tonal and like, you know, melodic driven, that sort of thing. And there was, I mean, I still like, I have a vibraphone in the house. I still play, you know, like I will always love that for, for a lot of reasons, but that kind of literature in particular really drove me crazy. Yeah. And towards the end of my degree, I ended up having to do a lot more of that literature because there was mm. another guy took over at the school and kind of changed the focus mm. of what It's amazing that you had, um, nay there to show you something else because i started out as a percussion yeah. major and i was just like i don't want to do this <laughs> <laughs> don't think that's uncommon you know yeah you I know like, this isn't the life i want and i didn't know of another way and it's really cool that you had him there to be like look there's something else i think that that is so i didn't find it till later there is something else Wait, how did you find it uh Through this through, um, I was living my last year of school. I went to Arcata and did my last year of school at Humboldt State, and I saw a um, samba group parade through town, and I was just like, "Bum bum bum!" <laughs> That's it. That's what I want to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. And 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 I I had that kind of realization early, but I was still going through. The school, because I don't know, like maybe you feel the same way. And and Diana, I'm I'm not sure if, if your background. Did you go through percussion as well too? This world that we're talking about now. Um, I was more of a dancer that got into percussion. Ah, um, okay, very nice. So, 
Um, no, not the same experience. As you learned how to play with your feet first. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's a good way to do it. I, and honestly, now, yes. like I'm trying to learn how to salsa dance as oh. like catching up, you know, because I, I've, I've realized through doing this type of music, especially samba and everything, mm -hmm. like how important dance oh, is definitely. to all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And it was not like, we didn't have to do that at UM for the classical degree. You know, we didn't have to take dance as well too, although we really, really should have. Um, yeah, I, I think just the split between those two worlds and feeling like I wanted to be doing something else, but this wasn't it. It made me leave school. Um, I went out into the world of Miami and I just started trying to gig around town. And like I had went to college straight from high school and just stayed, you know, so I never really tried to work with music. And it was the first time that I was like, oh, I can make money doing this and I can play these wedding gigs that pay lots of money. I can play these bar gigs that are more fun that don't pay as much money. I can do some orchestra gigs, like a bunch of different things. And I kind of realized like, oh, I want to be playing more. And, that, and that's really what this is. Um, so I realized that I was not going to go like back to school somewhere else to finish my doctorate, you know, and that if I didn't go back to UM, because I only had like a year and a half left, if I didn't go back to mm -hmm. UM, I would never finish my doctorate because mm -hmm. I wouldn't mm -hmm. go back to start all over again, you know? And so the new guy who took over there, uh, Svet Stoyanov, who's still there now, was super nice to me and uh, opened up the TA spot again so that I could come back uh, and finish out uh, my degree there. That's great. And in coming back, I told him, like, you know, listen, like, I'll, I'll, we, I have two more recitals left one recital i'll just play like whatever it is that you want me to play that you think is necessary for the degree for the program happy to do anything and then the other recital i want that one to be left to me to kind of determine what i want to do and i also want to do my my doctoral essay on this guy marco susano and all this sort of stuff and so for the recital i did i did just bandero and i made like the my entire last year of of the doctoral degree focused on bandero um, not only like learn, you know, learning about how Susano, uh, started and, and going down to interview him and all this sort of stuff, but learning how to play it myself and taking it more seriously, you know, like going towards a full recital. Like I did a recital where it was like, we had a full band with like three horns and two singers and a bass player, a couple guitar players, keyboard player, a percussionist and no drummer. And I was the drummer with Pandero and that was the, the conceit of the mm. entire recital. You know, and that mm -hmm. was so inspired cool. by Marco Susano and everything that he was doing cool. that it just kind of all tied together for me to do the dissertation on him and um, and do a recital around that same sort of stuff. Awesome. And when and did you first connect with him? I connected with him through Ney, like like mm -hmm. everything else, um, <laughs> uh, through Ney because Ney's uh, cousin uh, was playing bass with Javon mm -hmm. in in Miami Beach. They're playing at the Jackie oh, wow. Gleason Theater, <laughs> and Susanna was on that tour, mm. and they were coming through. I, this must have been 2010, 11, 9, somewhere around there. I forget. And um, they came through town. We got backstage afterwards, uh, thanks to Nay. And I just went up to Susano, like, you know, a scared little child. And like, I'm your number one fan. I love everything you do. And I, I really want to write a paper about you. And maybe we could be in contact. And he was just the nicest guy and gave me his phone number and his email and his address and just everything. He's like, come to come to Rio. When you come down, we'll link up and, and you know, you can stay with me. We'll study. 
we'll do an interview. It'll be great. And I was just like to the moon. I was so excited that I was, I you know, got bet. to meet this guy. He was a hero of mine for like 10 years at that point, whatever it had been. And that he was so like just warm and open right. and welcoming. And that's probably a thing that you guys have noticed with uh, a lot of the people that you mm-hmm. talk to on this podcast as well, too. I think so much of that comes out of that musical culture. Um, the, the willingness to, to share uh, the openness, the warmth. Um, I've, I've run into that over and over and over again. And not to say that there aren't bad eggs. I'm sure there are. But like I, uh, the people that I have run into on this journey have all been so incredibly welcoming and yeah, Susanna and was one not of the big ones. egos you know like very no. warm people yeah for sure no not big egos because they, I mean you know especially I think the people that you've talked to and the people that I get to work with they know what they're doing you mm-hmm. know like there's no there's not a lot of insecurity about all this mm. stuff with them you know because they're not having to prove to anybody who they are or what they do it's like it's it's plain and clear mm-hmm. and that kind of openness and honesty about it I think engenders a lot of that uh, that mm. warmth and that that sharing quality that they have about it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's it's been that way with everybody um uh and Susanna was was that way from the get-go and so I then I, I took a class where you had to write the first three chapters of the paper and get it started and then it was going to be a summer break and I was going to come back I was going to interview him over the summer break and then I was going to come back finish the paper and graduate uh and I hit him up at the beginning of summer I said hey When's a good time for me to come down? I'd love to set up the interview. Nothing. I sent another email. Uh-oh. <laughs> I call He's ghosting him, me. Nothing. I text him. <laughs> nothing. And then it's getting to be like August. Oh, no. And it's like, I've already written three chapters of this paper. If he doesn't respond and I don't get him, then I just have to start over and pick another topic entirely. Like, I can't write this without the interview. That's the whole conceit of the paper. So I just bought a ticket to go down to Rio uh, and hope that he was in town and like worst case scenario, I'll go hang out in Rio for a couple of weeks. And, and was this your, was. was this your first time there? No, oh, my okay. first time was, it might've been my second time. I think my first time was back in 2005, right after my undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I just kind of went there on a whim just cause I was so into Brazilian music and I stayed pretty much the whole summer there without really knowing many people. Um, and just bounce around from a hostel to hostel. We did that whole thing, you know, um, <laughs> but much more of a touristy sort of thing, you know? Sure. And, uh, then when I, you were there for a whole back, summer though, is that what you said? That's yeah. Cool. That first time I just, I was stayed for like two and a half months. I think I was down there. Did you learn, did you try to study Portuguese or how was that? I mean, I tried, but it was not good. You know, like I, I took a couple of classes, uh, at UM and I had taken some, some Spanish classes before when I was in high school and college mm-hmm. and like. But I, I, it's not that I think some people can learn that way, but for me, it was not the, the, the best way to learn this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I grew much more once I just started going down to Rio regularly and just putting myself in conversation, you know, places where I just had to have conversations. Yeah. You've been a bunch of times. I, it's well over 30 at this point. Is that just like crazy? Like a week at a time or what's, what's, explain yourself. What is the matter with you? <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of built it off of that first summer because like the way the, the season works here in Miami is uh-huh. like when I was in school, obviously the academic year is from August to May, but the season for like working as a musician is pretty much that same thing as well too. 
you know, because like it's the inverse is everywhere else. Like I think where you guys are, the summer is when stuff really opens up. Because it's too hot there for. Yeah, it's too hot and everybody leaves. And when we get people down here is during, is now, is December, January, February. Everybody comes down from New York. The snowbirds. The snowbirds come down and they bring us money, you know, like, (laughs) and that's how we live as musicians. And um, so like the summers here are dead. And so it's just kind of a perfect time to escape. And honestly, that's also nobody likes living through these summers anyway. That That's a big trick to enjoying living in Miami for a long time <laughs> is don't be around during the summers. And then it's beautiful, you know. Gotcha. Uh, so so I would do that. I did that first time. I went down for two and a half uh, months. And then after that, it was it was generally shorter. You know, I would go down for, you know, two or three weeks at the end of the summer, two or three weeks at the beginning of the summer the past like maybe four or five years i've started going for longer chunks like month two months during the summer Hmm. but a lot of them were just like you know trips back and forth and honestly most of them were not like i i I didn't go to carnival until well i went in 2013 uh to hasifi but Mm -hmm. i didn't go to the one in rio until 2019 i think it was the first Mm -hmm. one that i went to and I had already been maybe like 25 plus times or something at that point <laughs> because I would just go when I could, which is when, you know, there wasn't much happening here. And like Rio's kind of on the same schedule, you know? So like when stuff is happening here, I can't go down for carnival, right. you know, that was always when the you're issue. making money. Yeah. When I'm making money, I can't really leave to go down for carnival for a long chunk of time. Mm-hmm. So I'd go over the summers uh, and I would, and that's when I started, you know, after I did the paper with Susano that opened me up to a lot of other people um pr- principally um bernardo aguiar mm-hmm. uh and gabriel policarpo because when i did that paper with susano i did that interview with them um oh yeah so coming back to the to the story i guess i i called him up and he was there he was in town and then he was just super nice i i hung out with him for a couple of days we did the whole interview in english because my portuguese was nowhere nowhere near decent enough to do it at that point he did the whole thing in english super nice Mm. uh and and i was able to take it back home and finish the paper and like i'm really proud of that paper i don't like show it to that many people or like make people reference it for a lot of things because i think it's it's very academic you know there's a lot of extra stuff in there that isn't necessarily what people are looking for but it's a good resource i think for a lot of people have hit me up and contacted me over the years. Oh, I've, I found the paper online and that taught cool. me how to make the microphone. Mm. And like, that's all very, very, very cool. Yeah. Please um, send that to us. We'll yeah, put it, we'll, for we'll sure. post it. Yeah. I, it's, um, there's a lot of stuff in there that like, I basically, I wrote the paper to try and like answer all the questions that I had when we didn't have YouTube, you know, and <laughs> I couldn't watch those videos of him. Mm-hmm. I just had all these questions of like how, how the microphone was set up and how you make it and what do you run it through and uh, gear yeah, questions, yeah, yeah. the inverted technique, how does that work? The dividing the hand, you know, the low, medium, high sounds like his whole philosophy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to mark all that down and I think it's a really good register of that stuff. And it's, I think one of the first ones that was ever written, certainly the first one in English that was ever written about mm. him. Um, and so I think it's a really good resource and I'm very proud of it. But I think one of the greatest things that it did for me is it helped me connect with so many people down there because every, every time I got introduced to somebody was like, Hey, this guy's Brian. He did his doctorate on Pondero and wrote a thesis on Marco Susano. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Who would do such a thing? That's crazy. (laughs) 
and like that engendered me to a lot of people and, and like bernardo was one of the first ones uh i i asked susano i was like um you know who should i meet while i'm down here is there anybody else i should study with and he said you know bernardo is like my protege you got to go meet him he's incredible and uh i took a lesson with him and then afterwards we just went to the bar and like just started hanging out and hit it off and like we became fast friends after that he invited me to go see his show, and it was Bandero Hippiki Duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think their first, I think it was their CD release show oh, in cool. Rio. Like, I just happened to be there right at that time. <laughs> and uh, I walked into the show, and I was not prepared for what I saw. I had never seen anything like that before. Will you describe it? Describe yeah, Describe the sure. show. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people think it's just a Pandero and just a Hippiki. Like, what, right. how? And, you know. That is the majesty of the show. Right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> with these two things, we're going to extract like an hour's worth of music and like it's all going to be through composing. You're not going to get bored and it's going to create drama and tension and release and all this stuff. Um, the It starts with the fact that they're both just incredibly special players. Right. And they don't play those instruments in a very uh, typical or traditional manner, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Certainly Bernardo. Certainly true about, about Gabrielle. 100%. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah I, Bernardo, I feel, is like, a, you know, he's he's from the Susano school, and he's taken it in new places. Mm-hmm. I always, like, called him the Tony Williams of Pandero. Like, mm-hmm. he's just, like, he's brutal, and he's amazing the way what he plays, and it comes out of that Susano lineage. And Gabrielle, I don't know where he comes from. Like it's it's almost alien with that guy. He's got such a vocabulary on that instrument that like now I feel like I hear so many Hippiki players now and I'm just like, oh, that's a Gabrielle thing. That they're yeah. Using. That's a Gabrielle yeah. thing, you know? He took it to a totally different he plays it like a musical instrument rather than just a drum, right? Like that that's exactly it. And I yeah. think it comes from like those Carlos Malta was a big influence for us mm-hmm. uh, because of Pifa Moderno and Bernardo's work with him, and he was in Hermeto Pasquale's band. Mm-hmm. And Hermeto Pasquale's like uh, driving purpose, I think, uh, that he said to his band over and over and over again, was trying to extract the most possible out of your instrument. Mm. You know, like take this one simple thing and get as much as you can out mm. of it. And that's exactly what they do in that show. Um, and it it's a lot to do with the fact that they have. You know, the Bandero is a different Bandero. It's a low tuned Bandero with this big fat sound that covers mm-hmm. this low frequency range. Mm. Like, and there's the Hippiki doesn't get in the way of that at all. And the Hippiki on top has all this virtuosity and vocabulary right. that sits on top of the Bandero and complements it in such a beautiful way. Yet within the Hippiki, Gabrielle's got all these low, medium, and high melodic constructs, you know? And, and all the different ahead. textures that he does. I mean, it's just amazing interesting yeah all all the different textures like the the finger stuff playing really mm-hmm. low and like just making the instrument speak mm-hmm. you know i think that's the thing he makes it a very mm-hmm. vocal instrument like all of the great percussionists do you know not not everybody um uh that the guys who really play these types of instruments well speak through the mm-hmm. instruments and he definitely does and um and the, and it's mic'd up, and I think back then they also had like a vocal component to it as well too, but it's like an entire show set around just these two instruments, and you know, sometimes it sounds like a giant samba school, 
sometimes it sounds like this kind of like drum and bass backbeat sort of thing like they just they take it to all these different places they play all these different rhythms all these different styles and they create melody with rhythm you know Mm. that that is a thing that i think i learned a lot from them um was when i came out of the university program here my thinking was that like music is made up of three things melody rhythm and harmony you know and like that's it and those are the building blocks and you know melody is this thing that's important and rhythm is this thing that backs it up and harmony is what gives it color that was the traditional thinking and there they were able to do something that they were only playing you know what are quote unquote rhythmic instruments but they're creating melody through these long phrases Mm -hmm. that stick in your head and that you remember and they become themes and Mm -hmm. then make these pieces glue together and they're creating harmony through like the rhythmic interaction of those drums, you know, mm. the rhythmic harmony, the way those kind of 60th notes fit against each other and rub against each other mm. versus that melody, you know, that's rhythmic harmony. And so it's still fulfilling kind of a harmonic aspect, I think, you know, and that's why that show is so complete. And if you check out the first album of theirs, um, it's, it's, it's a double album. It's two mm. CDs and it doesn't get boring, you know? Like I, I, I drop that on people all the time and nobody knows what to expect of that album. You know, it's, it's a really, really incredible piece of piece of work. And those guys are amazing. So that, that, that changed my life for sure. That's a moment that changed my life was seeing that show. And how did you start working with them for PRD mice? I just kept bothering them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me in, guys. <laughs> I, I just kept You were there back. like 30 times, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. I just kept coming back, coming back, kept bothering them. Um, no, I mean, I saw that show and I thought this, again, still thinking from my like university academic background, I was like, this needs to be at PASIC. Like, mm. this would be a great PASIC show. You know, we got to bring these guys up to PASIC. And so that became like the next goal uh, that we had. We always had several goals with those with those groups or with that that collaboration. You know, I, um, I worked on a Pandero method with Bernardo that we can talk about later, and Gabriel. I've been working with him with some of the stuff that he's done with Batuki Bato, and mm-hmm. um, but the Pandero Hipiki duo is like this is a show that needs to be put out at Pasic, and that that scene is just going to love it, right. and. That I, I, I didn't think any further than that. I was just, we need to get these guys to PASIC. So I knew how to do the bureaucracy and, you know, file the papers and get us a clinic. And I got us one in San Antonio, I think it was, 2015 maybe. Um, and we went there and we did, it was a like uh, performance slash workshop or performance slash clinic. I forget how they called it. But the idea was that they would play for like, you know, part of it and the other part would be, you know, a presentation explaining what these instruments are and kind of giving it some context mm-hmm. for the audience there who like, much like me when I walked in that room, I they would not be ready for what they were going to see. And with that kind of stuff, as, as mind-blowing as it is to see, like, uh, like when you see Giovanni Hidalgo and El Negro when they would do those clinics and like everybody would just be like, their jaws on the floor <laughs> like but they knew what those instruments were mm-hmm. people knew what congas were and they knew what a drum set was and they had like some frame of reference for that the hippie of the pandero not so much and especially not in that context right you know? <laughs> right so, so i thought it was important for us to have like some some way to explain to people what this stuff is 
And also they're both such great teachers. I wanted to kind of like, you know, give them the space for that as well too. Um, so I helped translators for them. It was me, you know, like right on. I was I was doing the translation mm-hmm. for everything. Uh, that Bernardo speaks some. Uh, I mean, they both speak English now. Actually, uh, Gabriel was just here, and, and he's he's killing it now. Um, hmm. But um, Bernardo sp- spoke great English th- at that time, and so he could do a little bit. But he wasn't super comfortable. Like public speaking sure, in another yeah. language is a deal. I've done it. It's yeah. <laughs> you feel pretty uncomfortable and pretty insecure. So like I, I got it. So I was helping them with the communication and all that sort of stuff, and help them with the design of the clinic and how it should be laid out. You know, for people to understand it best, and preparing the materials and all that sort of stuff. Um, and and then played with them at the end as well too. And, uh, and we had a great time that pacing. We met a bunch of new people and it was like, all right, this is opening a world where maybe I can bring these guys back and we can do more stuff. And, uh, and we saw, um, ghost note, um, was at that, at that pacing. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you're familiar with that group. Um, it's uh, at the time. Yeah. Snarky puppies, drummer and percussionist, uh, spot and, and Nate. Uh, was are the center of that group and at the time when we saw them there it was like they had like three drummers and like three percussionists and like one bass player it was a much different group than it is now i think much more of like a funk dance band now with a fuller instrumentation Mm -hmm. but that show it was just like all percussion and a bass player and a sax player or something like that um and so we saw that show we were just blown away by it like the amount of drums that were on stage I remember, you know, Bernardo and Gabriel were just blown away by being at PASIC in general and seeing all these different things and being super inspired. So I thought, oh, this is a good, you know, like uh, exchange here that's happening, mm-hmm. but getting to see these guys and these guys getting to see what's going on up here and going on in different parts of the world, I, you know, I knew would generate some results for them. So the, they wanted to come back the next year. We applied to do the, the same thing again next year, but come back with a bigger crew and do a full show um and we just kind of based the group prd mice which mice means more right mm-hmm. and so it's an extension of prd pandero hippie duo um prd mice is a large group we created that in order to go to indianapolis to play that pacing because we we got a clinic and we needed to put a band together around it, you know, mm-hmm. and and we just kind of selected people from there. Once we once we had the gig, uh, we we got uh, Guilherme and Gustavo Oliveira nice. from Salgueiro. Yeah, cool. Um, they uh, they came in and, and brought all their expertise from that world. And Boca Hayes, mm-hmm. um, who's uh, uh, from Salvador Bahia, yeah, awesome. an incredible chimba player, plays with Batuki Bato. Um, he's, he's, he's an incredible teacher as well, too. He runs his own school down there, his own groups. Um, but that gave us a different flavor, you know, uh, sure. a little bit of the buy-in percussion flavor and, and me, um, I like needed to like have some kind of like a harmonic role in this group as well, too, to give us other colors. And also, you know, with, you know, I play Pandero in the group for, uh, for sure, but you know, everybody in that group is so multifaceted and can do so many things that it's like, you have to kind of like find your, find your roles that will work, you know, to put people together. Mm. Um, and, and Bernardo and Gabriella, when they put the group together, I think we're very like mindful of that as like, 
hmm. a what are the personalities that are going to gel well together that we can like go on the road with and 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 you know have a good time and be family together but b like who are the people who are going to be, be able to like um serve the music the best mm-hmm. and uh so in, in that group i played bandero and then i also play at the time it was a xylosynth now i use a pearl mallet station but like a midi controller um hooked up to i recently i've been doing with a profit synthesizer when i did the original one it was all off of logic through soft sense and that sort of stuff uh and then we got carlos malta mm-hmm. uh to play wins with us and chris bullock who was from snarky puppy i was able to jump in as well too can i ask you a wow. question i'm gonna interrupt you and ask you how did you get all the visas for those people <laughs> that's such a nightmare (laughs) yeah Yeah. well so for them at that time we didn't have to worry about like work visas because it wasn't a paying gig PASIC is not a paying gig like you just you get to come to the show and it's an academic exchange so I think they were just on tourist Tourist visas for that one you know they were just on tourist visas for that one and we did some some you know other like work under the table on, on that run sure, but like yeah. nothing big you know yeah we did have to get visas for them when we did the ground up festival in miami in uh 2019 i think we did that year and that was a nightmare like we it's spent such oh. a nightmare <laughs> dude i we spent like seven and a half grand or something yeah like that. if you're not making a lot of money it's not worth it like those oh. those are only for people who are like doing like arenas i guess i don't know like there's... which and side tangent, like uh, that's the uh, that's a big reason that we are so culturally starved. Yes, <laughs> in yes, this country, you know. Thank you. Yes, because we don't get to see the good stuff. I know. We get to see the the pop stuff and the commercial stuff that will sell tickets and fill mm-hmm. arenas and all that sort of stuff. But these kinds of things, it's such an incredible hassle. Yeah, and it's so prohibitively expensive yep. to bring anything of like substantial folklore culture yep. up. That uh, I mean, it, that's really disheartening. Unless you're a out. nanny or a supermodel, it's really hard to get somebody right. in. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. So I, um, you know, we we we've been able to do it a couple of times. It's always always a giant pain, and you know, I I think we'll we'll have in the years coming. We were supposed to do a European tour right right when Corona hit, mm. but I think in the years coming, we're going to be look more looking more towards towards Europe and South yeah, America. Yeah, that e- that's a lot easier, I think. It really is, Over there. Uh, you know. Even Canada, uh, I, though, right? Yeah, I think so. Right, Gabriel was just up there, and I think right. that was a little bit easier for him to deal with as well, too. But he's got a European passport, right? So exactly. he's a little bit different. Exactly. I don't want to out him, but <laughs> <laughs> he's got a he's got a much fancier passport. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's always tough with that with that stuff, and and we we try and work around it as best we can. You know, when we made the group, we we didn't really like think so much about what is practical. <laughs> we thought about what we wanted to do, um, sure, and and what we wanted to create this type of group <laughs> that we hadn't seen before. Sorry, I don't mean to like, laugh. I'm just like that's how you think before you realize the visa process. <laughs> yes, of, course, <laughs> like, of course, sorry. <laughs> and 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 then that's why like PRD is a much easier act to book mm-hmm. <laughs> than PRD mice. You know, because yeah, you can send a duo a lot yeah. of different places, and yeah. they've had some success for. For years, they've been yeah. doing stuff and traveling around the world, and mm-hmm. they've got they've had a lot more success outside of Brazil, I think, than even in Brazil. Mm. But for us, with a larger group, um, we've been able to do stuff down in Brazil because then it's just me going down there. You know, mm-hmm. that's much easier. Sure. Um, and and the one thing that I, I neglected to mention earlier, the reason I've been able to go back and forth to Brazil 
30 plus times is because my aunt uh, was a flight attendant for American Airlines. Oh, nice. Uh, up. <laughs> the golden standby tickets. <laughs> and, you know, and so like I would fly those, those, those standby tickets back and forth Dude. and like, it didn't matter so much for me if I, you know, I didn't have a schedule. It was yeah, a college sure. student or sure. a musician, whatever, you know? Sure. So I could just kind of bounce Dude, back and forth. Great. And that made it so much easier. You that's know? your secret. Uh-huh. <laughs> secret, power. secret power. I, 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 I am blessed. I mean, I, 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 my aunt gets nice Christmas presents for me <laughs> because she's, uh, she has really, really helped my career. Uh, I don't, I would not be able to afford mm. that, you know, or at least I would have a lot more credit card debt than I do. <laughs> um, uh, but that, that helped with that. And that helps now. For when I go down for PRD, my shows and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff cool. makes it easier for me to just go. Yeah, so we do awesome. a lot of stuff down there as well, too. Um, but when we came up to uh, to Indianapolis to do PASIC, uh, PASIC was like the excuse for us to be able to get the visas and get people up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we already had plans to go to Philadelphia after Indianapolis to go to my friend Jim Hamilton, mm-hmm. who's another you know, U.S. Brazilophile that I, I think you guys should talk to at some point. He's, uh, uh, he's the guy who, who produced and put out the first, uh, PRD mm-hmm. album. I met him in Rio and like within the first night, I just had like questions of whether or not this guy was real because it seemed so wild and crazy what this guy <laughs> was doing. Like he was, um, he was a, he was a percussionist for boys to men back in the oh, day. Wow. Um, and Philadelphia and born and raised there and like played in the Brazilian scene there, but then would go back and forth to Rio all the time. And he found these guys, Bernardo and Gabriel. And he was like, this is amazing. And much like I was like, I have to bring them to pace. He was like, I have to make an album with these guys. And hmm. so he, he did their entire first album. Um, hmm. and then when we were going up to Indianapolis, maybe a year before that he had quit his day job teaching in a university and bought an old factory from like the turn of the, you know, the, the last century, mm-hmm. uh, two centuries ago, I guess. Um, and it was like a, uh, a car repair factory or something like that from forever ago. And he renovated this thing and was building a giant studio wow. in like 2000s, you know, 15 or whatever it was when everybody else was tearing down big studios. Jim Hamilton bought a giant building <laughs> and and built a massive studio with two massive main rooms. Like it's a, wow. it's a two story building. It's incredible. Rittenhouse Soundworks. Hmm. Is this it's where those still, videos? There's a bunch of videos of all wrong. you guys yep. playing on YouTube. Is this where all that came from? That's where all that came oh, okay. from. And we had that like waiting for us. Like cool. Jim was Jim told us like if you can get to the U.S. Come to Philly. You can crash at my place. We slept in the studio, and we'll just record you guys for three days.
recorded us for free, you know, like just like out of the goodness of his heart and the belief wow, in the project. That's cool. The lighting really, in those videos is cool too. It's all kind of dark. We brought our own videographer up oh. from Brazil, Danielle. Well, two of them really, Danielle and Danielle Lobo and Mikhail Holkerman came up from Brazil. Um, and, and, uh, we had some helpers there in Philadelphia as well, too. Jim was kind of overseeing, producing, um, uh, Peter Trammo was doing sound. Like we had like a full team to do these videos Right on. and we were just like, we were so blessed and, and lucky to have all that support from everybody. And Jim was a big, big reason that any of that existed because he was just so enamored with this music That's the same cool. way that we were. Yeah. So yeah, he put us up there. We 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 slept on like you know, on gobos, and it was it was just mad. <laughs> there was no there was no insulation in the place oh, yet because he had just oh bought it, God. and there was like a hole in the ceiling. That was and what it like was November? Like, I mean, it was November. Yeah. It's during Pasic. That's like so yeah. cold. It was rough. It was rough for me, and it was rougher for the Brazilians. Yeah, I bet. Sure. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and we just sat in, in there for like three days and put an album together. We had kind of a show that we um, that we had put together for PASIC uh, and had some other ideas, but like a lot of the stuff we didn't really even do until we got to Philadelphia and got to the studio and started putting things together. And that's when Chris was able to come by because Snarky Puppy was nearby doing a show. Mm. Um, so he came over and stayed with us for a few days and we just lived in the studio. And the idea we had was to make those videos that you were talking about, Courtney. Mm -hmm. Um, we just wanted to make videos because, you know, we're, that's the way the world works now. You know, you make videos and then people see you and then you can do things. We were not even thinking about an album. Um, but after we recorded and shot all this stuff, it was like, shit, I think we have like an album here that we can put out. Well, how do we do that? I have no idea what, you know, <laughs> I was in music school for all of these years and I either, I learned so much, but there were a lot of things that I wish I had been like, mm uh impressed upon earlier about the, all of this kind of stuff mm -hmm. like how to put together a trip and tours and how to put together mm -hmm. a studio or you know how to record an album how to release it what this you know all that sort of stuff yeah. so we were we were super lost um and very luckily um the stars aligned again i i mean i have to say i always feel super lucky in my position in the universe because i feel like i i i fall into good spots a lot and um, Snarky Puppy, their their record label is Ground Up, uh, music based out of New York. And a year after we recorded that album, they were going to do their first Ground Up music festival with you know uh, artists or artists from the label in Miami at Miami Beach at the North Beach Band Show, which is a venue that I play at all the time. It's like my second home down here, hmm. you know. And they just happened to be going there and pick that spot of all places. <laughs> and we had a connection with them because Bernardo did family dinner too with Malta. And, uh, and so like, you know, we had a bit of an in and Pifi Moderno, Moderno was going to be playing that first ground up festival. Um, and so that, that was a really fun gig. Cause I got to sub for Susano. Wow. which was like wow. the craziest thing to me. <laughs> I, I I still can't believe that. I don't think I will ever have a better gig than that. That mm -hmm. was one, one of the most fun performances mm -hmm. I've ever had in my life. Doing a late night show there with them, with Beef and Moderno, just being the sub for Susano because he couldn't come. But they got everybody else there. And Bernardo was there. And we had this album. And we thought, well, we can just pitch it to them and see if they like it. Maybe they'll want to do something with it. And we just presented them like, here's the album. And here's all the videos. Everything is done. 
um, and they loved it and they, they brought us in, into the fold into the family and released it on their label. And, uh, and they've been super, super supportive, uh, of us ever since then, uh, helping us to come up for that festival, um, you know, getting us some, some work down in, in Brazil. We opened up for Snarky, uh, down there in Sao Paulo and Rio, which was just an, an unreal thing to like play with our group, uh, in front of a Snarky Puppy audience because, <laughs> God bless them. Snarky puppy audiences <laughs> are filled with music nerds. They're the, ready. The they're ready beautiful. for something new. Yeah. yeah they're ready for know, something like that for they're sure. They're open-minded people. And yeah. in Brazil of all places, when we mm. did that show there, like when we did the one in Sao Paulo, that room just exploded. Mm-hmm. Like it was on fire because they were, you know, we were the home team. It was, it was such a, such a cool feeling to play uh, in front of that audience and get to do that show there. Um, and so, and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget it. They, they brought us back on during, I think one of their tunes is, uh, Cementi, which is based after the bar. Um, there's a, mm-hmm. there was a bar in Rio called Cementi. Have you guys, have you heard of this place? Mm-hmm. It was a spot in, in Rio that was just kind of like the musician's bar for years. And they had a Monday night jam there. Like Yamandu Costa would show up there all the time. Zay Paulo Becker had a had a jam there every Monday night. Mm. That we, and so when Snarky Puppy was in town, Bernardo and Malta brought them there to that. Mm. And uh and they we we were gonna come back on to to play to that tune. And we're coming back on to that tune, and we get like halfway through the tune, and and Michael Lee just says, Okay, and we're gonna stop, and you guys just take over. And we stopped, and then we just went into Batalyao, which is one of like the more batucada kind of tunes that we do that's just like percussion driven, sound percussion driven. And we, we didn't, we didn't get to do it on the, on the opener set because we ran out of time and it was like perfect for that moment. And we just launched into a Samba and like the room knew exactly what to do. They were ready for that. And then like nobody else on stage was ready for it. Like I, I could see it in, in the band's eyes. Like everybody in Sarky Puppy gets their phones out. They're like, what is happening here? It was, it was such, such a cool moment. And, and, and I think it really speaks to, um, uh, the best of, of those guys, the whole ground up label, um, how much like in all their touring and traveling everywhere they've gone, they've lifted up artists mm. around them, you mm. know, and found people that maybe would not have gotten the shine or the spotlight, uh, mm. and otherwise, and, and brought them to the forefront a little bit and gave them an audience and a platform. And so we're, we're always super grateful for, to that family for doing that for us. That's great. You know what's, I find your story really inspiring, Brian, because it's like you are just following what you're interested in, right? You you figure out how to get through the details, whether it's your PhD or figuring out visas uh-huh. or figuring out like how to apply to PASIC or make the studio thing happen or the get the album put out, like you get all these things done. It's really, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know where necessarily where I'm going I, with that, but it's, it's your story is inspiring. Cause you're, you're being, you're very successful just following your passion. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I gotta say, I, I mean, I said it earlier, that's Ney Rosaro 100%. Um, what do you mean? Uh, he, uh, he really impressed upon me at a young age, the, the value of doing your mm-hmm. own work and mm-hmm. making your own stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in his world, it was composition, you know, and like, so for him, it was writing method books and composing pieces and things like that. Um, and 
and he, he put it several different ways. We had this conversation a lot of times, but like the gist of it is, is that like, if you do your own thing, nobody can tell you that you were doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. you, 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 you just make yourself so unique and you follow the unique person that you are. And then you become a, you know, a, a, a unique commodity in the world, or you become something different rather than just trying to fit into like, Oh, there's a hole. I think I'll go fill it. You know? Yeah, sure. Like, um, yes. uh, he was very much that way. And I don't know that every, uh, music school, university percussion school is set up that way. You know, I was very lucky with him. Yeah. And, but not only that, I mean, there's that part and that's amazing. And, but there's also like, I feel like for myself, I, I try to do some of these detail work and make things happen and move things forward. But, oh, they just like, sometimes I just get bogged down in the minutia of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the direction I want to go, but it's like, it's just so dealing yeah, with visas yeah. and paperwork and, you know, just all these things like you're talking about. It's just sometimes, I don't know. It's anyway. It. It is, but I mean, like uh, those 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 things are paid off when you get on stage and you're doing the thing that you love doing, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 also, like I came from a very 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 lucky position, you know, like uh, being born white male in Texas makes your life pretty easy to begin with. But also, like I had a stable family. My parents, you know, raised me well, took care of me. Um, yeah, you know, they're weird creatures of their own, <laughs> their own volition, but like they were very good parents to me. Um, and they got me into school. I got out of school with no debt, mm-hmm. which I think is a thing that most people don't have that luxury mm-hmm. as well, too, because mm-hmm. my parents um, uh, covered like I, I had to think of what a 50 or 60 percent scholarship for my undergrad. My parents covered the rest. And then for my master's and my doctorate, I was a TA, so there was a mm-hmm. tuition waiver and a stipend, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like a low-paying job, essentially, mm-hmm. at that point. So th- that's super lucky as well, too, you know? Like, I I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that bogs me down and that I am, I'm not super into doing. We can go into a whole host of things that I'm having to do for <laughs> Miami Blocker right now that are not fun. <laughs> yeah. But, like, but they pay themselves off yeah. in the moments where you get to do those sorts of things. And I'm also, I feel very lucky to be in a position where I've been able to take those types of chances and, and still be okay. You know, mm-hmm. like um, as a musician in Miami, like uh, for a long time, I worked a ton of just like, you know, wedding gigs and corporate gigs and things like that. And those pay the bills mm-hmm. and then you can worry about doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had this teaching position. I teach at Barry University. Uh, in North Miami and I've been there for 11 years or something like that. And it's adjunct work, but it's like, that's something that's a chunk that I have. And then, uh, you know, so like uh, I, uh, you're piecing it together. I'm piecing it together as best I can. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and I also feel lucky to have all those resources that allow me to kind of go forth and find the things that I want to do. And that, that's a thing that, you know, I, I, of, of course, I think everybody should, should do, you know, if, if, if they can, but it's, it's not, it's not always an option for everybody. And I'm, I'm, I'm keenly aware of that. I I feel, I feel super lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And maybe that helps a little bit to drive me through the minutia as well, too. It's also scary, right? It's scary to like say, this is what I want to do. I'm going to set aside what reasonable people do. (laughs) 
Gonna, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to go after this thing, right? I mean, you know what I mean uh-huh. by, by saying that, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. that's cool. But, it's inspiring. But I, I realized I was a musician at, at a young age and that, that mm-hmm. this is just what I do. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think when I was going to uh, music school uh, for undergrad, my one of the main drivers for going was not so much to like to be a professional musician and make that a career. It was just that I didn't want to do anything else. All yeah. I had known at that point in my life was just making music and playing music. And so it was like, all right, this is the way I can keep doing that. And if I don't do that, then I have to like what go get a job and work at Starbucks or you know, right, I don't know. Right. Like I didn't have I didn't have a B plan. I've had one job that was not music in my entire life. And that was like when I was eighteen. I was working on a golf course doing like maintenance, you know, mm-hmm. cutting grass and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was enough to, to teach me like, yeah, hey, I, I don't, I don't mind filling out visa forms, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> <laughs> if, if this is the gig, I can do it. It's not so bad. Yeah. Very cool. Diana, who was that? We interviewed um, the girls from New York that were in the Batala group. And one of them, one of them said that the, the music is the therapy for all the drama you go through trying to pull off the music or something oh, yeah. like that was, yeah. her, was her quote. <laughs> yes, yeah. definitely. That's great. I love that. Music is the therapy. She said it better than I did. I said it. But we'll, have to, <laughs> no, we'll have to find I, that I, quote. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. I, I would like to get that as a tattoo. That's, that sounds good. <laughs> um, it's 100% it is, you know, because like those those moments that I can remember where it's like it does all come together. I, I, you know, I just had a, a show, um, what was it, Sunday night, uh, playing with Miami Bloco with like a small performance group with Munir Hossen who's a Brazilian bass player who lives here in Miami, just a wizard of a player. And it was like that moment when I, when I got to like play, you know, play with him with this project full of all these beautiful people that are close friends of mine. And just like the moment of that and the music of that and all that sort of stuff was just like, this is the payment. This is, right. this is, this is the payment. This right. is where you get you know, reimbursed for all of your troubles. You know, mm-hmm. it may not come monetarily, but like those types of moments. Right. They, they will last you a long time. And I've been lucky to have a lot of those moments. Yeah. Well, I guess this would be a good time to segue into Miami Blocko. Sure. Let's do it. Let's, let's talk it. about it. Yeah. Miami Blocko is, uh, is kind of another PRD spinoff in a sense because hmm. we – uh, the reason it started is because when I did that uh, run with them in Indianapolis and Philadelphia, Contemporania, mm-hmm. uh, who's been uh, a partner that I've worked with for a long time, and they've always been super, super supportive. Uh, they sponsored that tour. They sponsored like the album release of Purity Mice. They were all super, super supportive. And so part of the sponsorship for that tour was they sent us drums. So we had, I mm. think that first shipment had like three Surdos. Tukaisha, a chimbao, hepiki more, um, some tambourim. That's it. Kind of small, but like you know, it was enough for like our setup, you know. And uh, and after that run was over, they it made no sense to bring all of those drums back down to uh, Brazil, which is also kind of like bringing wood to the forest, you know, like aluminium, <laughs> and. Uh, and, you know, we could have them up here and then we could use them for like whenever we did a U.S. run or something like that. So I thought, well, I could hang on to these guys and just keep them here. So I offered, I basically, I just bought out 
um, you know, because uh, we function as a group and we split all the expenses as a group. It was like I just bought out the, everybody else's portion of those drums and kept them here for myself, thinking like I'll find a use for them at some point. I don't know what. And that's how I am with all of my percussion stuff. This is why I have so much gear You're around a hoarder. me. Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> totally. I'll use that at some point. I, I like people that give me things and I can't turn them down. I have like all these old weird percussion instruments from like, uh, not nay, but nay's teacher at UM who just dumped all this stuff on me and I will take anything, you know? And I was that way with those drums. So I was like, I'll find use for them. Um, so I kept them and I had them at the house and maybe about a year later or something like that, I was talking with my friend, Kenneth Metzger, who's another Brazilophile. He's, he's teaching over at, um, University of Florida, he kind of took over some some of Larry Crook's duties uh, there, working with like the Jacare Ensemble and all that sort of stuff. Um, he was in Miami at the time, the percussionist that I, I grew up with down here. And we were just sat around talking. I was like, I got these drums. You know, we would love to like start something up here because we miss the experience we had in Brazil. He spent a lot of time in Recife. I spent a lot of time in, um, in Rio. And we miss that experience. We want to do something. So I said, I have drums. And he says, I have a house. We can just do it in my front yard. Hmm. And we just, I just started calling my friends and telling them like, hey, you want to get together and play drums and learn how to play samba? And like being a musician, like all my friends are musicians, you know, it's like a very incestuous world. Like we, you work with your friends, you see them all the mm-hmm. time, you know? So like those are my first calls for that sort of stuff. And I just called a bunch of musicians and they called friends and, and we started doing these rehearsals. Um, at Kenneth's house. And back then it was not like a class or anything that anybody needed to pay for. It was just like, I want to do this thing. Who wants to do it with me? You know? What year was um, this? 2017, I think. Okay. Um, and up until up until this year, really, up until 2021, that's the way that it had been run. Um, I didn't charge for a single class that entire way. Um, and we bounced from location to location. We started at Kenneth's house and then Kenneth left and went to go teach at UF and we found a capoeira studio, a mosaic that we worked out of for a while. And I would collect donations for them to help them cover the rent, but just gave it all to them. Uh, then we did some parks and things like that and it just bounced around from spot to spot. And I would just do these free classes. And over the years, people got more and more into it and, you know, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to recreate like Salguero down here. Like that's <laughs> yeah, not going to happen, sure. <laughs> you know, but that was not my motive. You know, my motive was just to like, A, just get these drums out and play and have fun with them. Um, you know, I had a Brazilian ensemble I was leading at Barry University at the time. So this was like more practice leading that kind of stuff, which I thought mm. was good. And um, and I was super inspired by Gabrielle. Uh, Gabrielle's group, uh, Batuki Bato. I was going to say, it's more of a bloco, right, that you're doing? Yes, yeah. exactly. And 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 it's different even than I think a normal bloco because a bloco like, has the, the march for Carnival and, and it's like, you know, some of them are regimented and some of them are just like people with drums glomming right. together and playing, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. like, and just like chaos, drinking chaos, and smoking yeah. and having a great time and it's amazing <laughs> and it's like the, the backbone of the culture essentially. But like, yeah, it's, it can be a little bit of madness as well too. Um, and, and Gabrielle's group was like in the middle of those worlds where it was like, he was playing like really complex stuff. Yeah. Um, and stuff that was not Samba, you know, like doing different rhythms from Candomblé and from the Northeast and from outside of Brazil with this group. 
Uh, I love that aspect of it. And I also loved that everybody in the group was a quote unquote amateur, mm-hmm. which I, I think is really the core of like what we're trying to do at Miami Blanco is in the US, I think there is a very stark line between what we consider to be the performers and the audience or the professional musician and just, you know, a regular person or or an amateur, you know, um, like you you don't feel the the necessarily the welcomeness to like jump up and be a part of things on stage you know that thought doesn't enter your mind unless you've had too many to drink you know <laughs> like for the most part it's like there's there the performance and then the spectators and they're separated and in brazil what i found around all of this music was like that line was broken a lot more um and one because everybody plays and and music is just much more a a natural expression of being a human being more so than it is an occupation down there, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah. I think up here we kind of, we, we like, we, uh, we take professional musician and musician as the same thing, which they're not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, do you uh, know about that Kurt Vonnegut quote? Oh, uh, tell me. Practicing I should. Art. I just looked it up cause I didn't want to misquote it, but practicing an art, no matter how well or badly, is a way to make your soul grow. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. No, I, I love that. It's, I love it goes. It goes on, but it's yeah. Up. It's that. That's exactly it. We're, you know? we're, I feel like, like we're afraid to like when you see yes. when you see singers, they're always the best and most amazing soloist singer, and make mm-hmm. fun of we make fun of bad singers and you know like those talent show we have TV shows, yeah, TV shows make making fun, fun of, of people who are terrible at it. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. I don't know. I think it, it intimidates everybody out of trying you don't have to be good at it just do it it'll make you feel better dancing you don't have to be good at it just do it and i think it's probably a very big u.s thing that if like if it's if it's not going to be bringing you money then it's not a worthwhile pursuit right and and kind of our ethos here you know Mm -hmm. um but like that's not true anywhere else in the world you know and it's certainly not true in in brazil and it's not true here. I mean, like everywhere for sure. But like in in the mainstream American white culture, it tends to be that. Like if you are not making your money doing this sort of stuff, then you shouldn't be doing it at all, you know? And I I think what I loved about Gabrielle's group is it was just breaking all of those types of boundaries. And you had all these people in there who were not, you know, they're not professional musicians. But they Even perform at a really somber. high level. They perform at a really high level. And they're playing complex, because, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're playing complex, interesting stuff. But you know, the beauty of all that sort of stuff is all of the parts individually are simple. Mm. Mm. And that is what makes Gabrielle a master arranger, composer, mm. musician, teacher, educator, whatever. That's what makes that group work mm. is that all of the parts are themselves are, are attainable yeah, you know yeah they're attainable and you can like and i watched him do this over the years with these groups because i i went to so many of these while i was down there just to play in them watch him teach you know write stuff down try and figure out what was going on with it the way that he like was able to kind of like assess a crowd and like at a new workshop and be like all right this person can handle this and this person can handle this we'll put them here and put you on this instrument da, 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 and put everybody in a position where they can succeed at something mm. That makes a huge, huge difference in, in A, the final result of how musical it sounds, and B, everybody's like enjoyment of the thing as well, too. Mm. How did you he know? assess that at the beginning? Just kind of watching people 
play? I, I think it's from his it's from his background in the Samba schools, mm. you know, and just like knowing, you know, teaching that kind of stuff for years. He, before sure. he was a Batuki Batu, he had a group called Bloco Vigario, which I think like Talita was involved mm. with that group. A couple of people as well too. Um, and was like, you know, he'd been teaching from yeah. a, a young age yeah. because he was a prodigy and everybody wanted to, Learn you know, to study him. with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he 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 developed that I think over the years of just doing these things and and I developed that as well too from watching him and also uh, you know Nay again going back to him like when I was like a junior he started letting me lead percussion ensembles you know mm-hmm. and then when I was a TA I was having to lead all these ensembles do conducting and I was always leading groups mm-hmm. you know um, so it was very very natural and. Uh, for me to to go into this world of of trying to lead this stuff just from that educator's sure, perspective yeah, yeah. being able to discern who can do what how to run a rehearsal how to deal with people who are uh, a little much to deal with how to deal with people <laughs> who like maybe can't seem to find the pulse how to you know like you have to deal with all this sort of stuff in the moment and and find what will work and that's the challenge and and the art of the thing i think there 100 is an art to running those types of yeah. groups. It takes and practice Gabrielle for sure. A, yeah, Gabriel's a master at that sort of stuff. Um, I, I learned a lot with him. And so I, I tried to apply those things here and instruct new people here. And and I found at first, um, you know, I had a couple of musician friends of mine who would come every once in a while. And then once I started offering them regularly, I started getting this crowd of other people who were not professional musicians just coming out to do this thing as an activity and that was the group the crowd that i knew that i wanted involved mm-hmm. in this because that's exactly what was happening about tukibatu um and so those people started coming back every week and to this day we still have some of those people who were there you know three years ago or something like that and just jumped into the group without having any other prior musical background or anything like cool. that and those people would come week after week and tell me the same thing this was therapy I needed this. Yep. Th- thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you guys hear the same yeah, thing. Don't right? stop doing this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you guys must hear the same thing all the time. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's part and parcel of, of what we do. And I, and I think it's drawing from the ancient technology, the ancient community building technology that are the drums, you know, yeah. and the medium that we work through is Samba. But that type of like communal drumming, which is a thing that we lack here in the United States mm-hmm. because we don't have a lot of cultures for that sort of stuff. We have go-go in DC. We have second line, New Orleans. We have drumline, which is a very, very cool thing. But drumline has this weird aspect of not being able to do it after you're 22 or whatever. <laughs> and you there's know? a barrier to get in. I mean, you got to be at a certain level to you got to be a certain level yeah. and where are the community drum lines that kind of stuff right, you know right. like i'm sure there are some but it's not in the same manner as it is yeah. in rio for sure yeah. obviously um you know like th- we don't have those types of groups here and when people take part in them it just resonates with yes. them as a human yes exactly it's very human yes you know yep it goes i mean it goes back to what you were saying before about people like not feeling like they can make art unless they're getting paid to do it Mm -hmm. for whatever wherever that came from maybe it's like our the puritans who came here i don't know (laughs) totally you know that's a lot of that uh, it's it's the capitalist kind of environment that we live in Mm -hmm. and and as much as 
beauty is that has generated an amazing things that have been accomplished from it. There's a lot of big, big, big downsides. Big hollowing out. Yeah. A big hollowing out of our culture. And we are kind of, you know, culturally poor in that aspect. Yeah. Because like when I when I talk to um, people in Brazil about, you know, carnival or uh, what do you have in the US? It's like that. And it's like <laughs> we don't. Like we don't, well, yeah. okay, we have Mardi Gras, but that's a regional thing it's, and it's not yeah. the same yeah. for sure. Yeah. But it's you know, it's a gathering, whatever. It's drumming, it's music. What's the big thing we have nationally? The Super Bowl? <laughs> Black Friday? You know? Maybe Fourth like of July. The Fourth of July. But it's like it's not a I mean it's just yeah, it's, it's not a cultural event. It's not a We're it's not, not around making art. making art. I mean, there's nothing yeah. really that's around creation that's, that's art. I don't think. I can't think of anything. Not that I know of. I mean, in smaller capacities, you know, yeah. like you find it in like the Brazil camp that I, that I know that you've been to before. Like that's a very cool gathering, a thing that can happen here in this environment. And yeah, but that's a very you know, small, not, specific thing. Like, but it's so niche. It's not an overarching <laughs> cultural. Thing, you know? I mean, I guess you could say marching band competitions, maybe. I mean, that's a very American, mm-hmm. I think. And like, that's the thing that puts sticks in my hands, yeah. and for sure, I, I get, I get it as well too. Football, but you, you don't have like people trying, you know, like yeah, people in Brazil play tamborim on on a plate, you know, yeah. at home, yeah. all the time yeah. because it's just coming out of them, right. and we don't have that same kind of thing with that with that type of music here yeah. like in spurts in places it's there but it's not an overarching national identity right or or even regional identity the same way that rio has so i i think that's the big thing that has really resonated with miami Bloco. um and it, it attracted people to come back to it over and over again and then once i started getting those people coming back over and over again and they started getting better and the musicians started seeing like other people around them getting better. They kind of got into it and were like, oh, wow, these people are, are playing better now. This is this is more enjoyable for me. Cool. And then I started getting the musicians to really buy into the thing. And now I'm blessed with this like really great mix of people where we have like like first call musicians in Miami that drop their instruments and come learn to play samba with me. Um, you know, not just drummers, but, and percussionists, but, you know, keyboard players and guitarists and pianists and bassists. Uh, I have a lot of bass players. Bass players are, are good people. They love this sort of stuff. The whole sort of <laughs> line is bass players. Um, bass players and drummers, and we, we like each other. We like each other. You know, we hang out, we relate, you know, it makes sense. Um, and, uh, and all of these, these people who, you know, I, uh, they're they're musicians as well too. This is the thing. I think we we could do a lot by by fixing our our vocabulary and like and separating professional musician from musician. You know, like I the people that are in the group, like um, uh, Jackie, who has been in there from the beginning. She does not like make her money from doing music, but she plays with us. She's a musician in this group. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh there's 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 several of them who play with the performance group um that are true musicians um and i think that is is the thing that is at the heart of what i want for miami Blanco is for people to like get in touch with that thing of being a musician hmm. even if you're not going to make money from it you don't have to make money from it for it to enrich your life you know mm-hmm. And so those those people are 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 uh, really you know the other leg of this. So we have those two kind of groups here, um, and for the past you know 
four years or whatever it was before the pandemic, I would just do those workshops. Every once in a while, we would do like a workshop at the Ground Up Festival. We had a couple of performances here and there, but it was mostly small stuff. And like, you know, there, there were limits with this group, as you guys know, like how many, how often you can get people together for rehearsal, the people who are coming into it as beginners, like how far they can advance, the people who are advanced musicians, how often they can get together for a rehearsal or do a gig because they've got other work, you know? Yeah, that was a problem with, uh, oh, um, Zach in Nashville when he's, he's now moved to Chicago, but he had all these professional musicians, you know, Nashville musicians in, Mm -hmm. in his group. And they couldn't, a lot of times they couldn't do money-making gigs because all their musicians, you know, for Friday, Saturday night, they need to go to work. So exactly, it was kind of, it kind of drained his group. Sometimes he was, you know, had to turn stuff down because of that. Yep, totally. And when Gabrielle was down here last month, we had a long talk about like, you know, building the group and where to go next. Mm -hmm. And that was a big thing that he impressed upon me was like, you don't, don't rely on the professional musicians. Yeah. You know, like the the people who are going to be your biggest support are the ones who are just invested. Yeah. If they are professional musicians or if they are not, doesn't matter. You know, it's just going to be the people who are going to want to show up and be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we built that community over over years of doing those things together. And uh, then the pandemic hit, and um, it was really as you guys remember, it was hard and dark and weird for a lot of months there. <laughs> Uh, it was, um, it was just hard to see, like, when are we going to be able to do any of this sort of stuff again? And I had people like calling me being like, Hey, can we do the blocko again? And like, I had to like say, I don't think it's the right time for us to do this, you know, like, and I'd wait until the vaccines come out, you know, like it took well over a year. We didn't really restart until this summer in the summer of 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, and the big, big difference um, now, I think one is that people are just like, I don't have to explain to people what it is. People are just so dying to go out and do things right. at this point. Like, I, it, whereas before I had to like, like sell them a little bit, like, what are you going to do with your Tuesday night? You should come spend it with me and hit right, these drums. Right. And, and like now it's, it's people are just like dying to come do stuff. Uh, all the people who had been part of the group for years had this kind of pent up energy around it. And we finally got to get together and play again and do a show. We did like a lot, uh, we did a, a performance of the banjo over the summer where we got to like rehearse and play and was like, everybody was so excited to do it again. Like it was such good energy um, that like, I kind of knew that like, all right, if we can mitigate, uh, the, the obvious concerns, uh, with Corona in the world now and all of this, if we can find ways to, to, to get this going, I think we have a real opportunity to take some strides with this group and make it into a, a fuller organization mm-hmm. and accomplish some of the bigger goals that I've always had for it that I haven't been able to do, uh, because people are interested in it now in a different way, you know, um, just for the lack of social interaction they've had and the fact that the people that were in it before, uh, we're just dying to do it again. Um, it, you know, we all just wanted to get out there and play again. So that was a really big push at the beginning of the summer. And then, uh, the other half of it is really, um, my girlfriend Suwom is also been helping me with the production of this kind of thing for the past, uh, you know, this run since we kind of restarted in 2021, mm-hmm. Uh, she has been a big, big support as far as like helping me with the 
the promotional aspect of it, how to like engage with people online and deal with Instagram in a way that I didn't really know how to deal with it before the importance of that, mm-hmm. um, how to foster community online, because before I would just make a Facebook event, like, a, you know, at three in the afternoon and then expect people to show up at seven, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't the the smartest about it. And like, and she helped a lot with that sort of stuff. And she also, uh, is an incredible artist and helped a lot with the, the graphic design of it and giving it, you know, a look and a thing that can like help sell it visually on the phone to people who don't know what it is. Cool. Um, and so, with that, uh, I, I really kind of took off and running and I, I stated some goals of, all right, I want this thing to grow into, um, a bigger ensemble that reflects a lot of, uh, what is we have in Miami, which is different than anywhere else, which is all of these, uh, Latin American, South American, Caribbean cultures that love communal drumming and that have that aspect in them. I want to, I want to honor that. So I want to work with other groups in town and other artists much in the same way that Gabrielle is doing Batuki Bacha by playing other styles. I want to do the same thing here with what we have in Miami. And I want to do, you know, outreach to schools, to people who can't pay for a workshop and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I see what Dana does up in uh, in New oh, York, with Harlem Samba, yeah, amazing. and I'm so impressed and inspired yeah. by him and his work with that. Um, you know, I would love to do some kind of thing like that here, even if it's not it's if it's not one school, like an outreach program to other schools. Yeah. I would love to bring people up from Brazil here, uh, like I did with Gabriel uh, last month, to to work with my group and and bring my people down to Rio, you know, foster that type of exchange. Mm-hmm. Like, all these sorts of things that are going to require what money, mm-hmm. you know, in order to make this sort of work, we're going to have to monetize this thing. And I was really hesitant at first to do any of that because I think a big part of why uh, I, we had any success that we did before was because it was just so open, mm-hmm. you know, I would just, whatever, whoever wanted to show up, let's play music, let's make it happen, you know? And like, we just did it that way. And I didn't want to lose that inclusive element of it, but we haven't. So we now we have the performance group, which is the people that have been in it for years, and we can add to it with new people as they come along or um, uh, come into town. We've had a lot of people come into Miami during the pandemic that are new to town that love this music too, that we're in the group now. And then we have workshops where I, uh, right now we have been lucky enough to partner with Rhythm Foundation. And they have the venue, the North Beach Bandshell, which is where the Ground Up Festival was at. Um, and um, and we get to rehearse there uh, twice monthly. We're going to be doing that February through May as like a season run cool. to go towards a big performance at the end. And cool. again, this is all modeled off of what I've seen Gabrielle do with Batu Kibato. Is like you have to have a target for them. It's carnival. I was going to say, like, know? do you have a big performance that you that you've done? before with this group? yeah like before like before the pandemic did you have like a parade or you know like yeah we would do events we did you know we did the ground up music festival we did workshops there and shows there uh we did um like a a hollywood hollywood is a city down here hollywood uh brazilian festival we played that a couple of times we did some mardi gras marches we did a bunch of things but it was never like what i want for miami block to grow into and where it's going now is to like, all right, you sign up for these two months of courses and we teach you along the way. And then at the end, we have this capstone performance Mm -hmm. where you get to invite all your friends to see you play and perform. 
that's what Batuki Bato does. You know, yeah. it's like they have, they have, they go towards Carnival or they go towards San Juan or they go towards the Orchestra du Hidmus, like shows mm-hmm. that he's been doing with that group, you know, mm-hmm. go towards a, an event. Um, and that's what we're going to be doing with, with the band shell. So bringing in that kind of like new wave of people, Contemporanea has been super helpful to us and got us a bunch of new drums. Uh, And so now people can, can register for these courses and buy like a chunk of, you know, you can buy a a whole month or you can buy individual ones. We're just trying to get people to kind of experience this thing and and see what it is a little bit, Mm -hmm. but at the same time grow towards a performance, you know? that's the balance with all this sort of stuff you know is like you have to you have to strive yeah but right now i 100 percent agree right now it's hard because everything's getting canceled or like it starts up Uh, and it's iffy or like everyone's hesitant to like have a show you know what i'm saying like oh yeah of course i mean it's different in florida i know that they're a little more that's like a little more loose you know with everything than portland's pretty (laughs) strict so i'll say I'll say, <laughs> uh, it, it's crazy loose down here. It's, 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 you know, uh, we, we live in a different state, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and the government down here has been just adamant from when they opened it back up back in, you know, I don't know, April of 2020, <laughs> they were like, we're never shutting this down again. And this is going to stay open. Yeah. And like, okay, the city does, but that, that, that doesn't mean that like events don't get canceled all the time. And that's, that's still happening. We've just had some stuff kind of get canceled recently, unfortunately with the Omicron wave. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's still around. It's still a thing to deal with. But the one thing that we do have going for us in Florida is nice, beautiful weather, weather where you can be outside. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's amazing. And that's, that's a big mitigating factor for yeah. us. You know, that helps a lot. So the band shell rehearsals are all outdoors. Uh, I, I haven't done an indoor rehearsal, uh, a public rehearsal, public workshop uh, since we restarted. We're just going to always do outdoor stuff. And when I did them over the summer, it was like, if we get rained out, we get rained out. But like, sure, yeah. this is the way it's going to have to be. And, um, and so I, I think that will allow us to continue to keep some momentum going. I, I know you know, you, you look back at history and, you know, the history of the, the Spanish flu and pandemics before that, it's like, these things take years to resolve themselves. Even if we don't go into like the whole credible debate that we have up here about vaccines and all this sort of stuff, that's incredibly frustrating. Um, it just takes time for these mm-hmm. things to, to pass through, you know? So we kind of know that we're going to have to be in this for a while so we can figure out ways to, to to try and do this as safely as possible and like right now the omicron is peaking that we're recording this in um you know in january here and we can't do stuff now so i just canceled all the miami blocker stuff because it's not worth it right now but you know like in south africa the cases went down they'll go down here eventually at some point and then we can come back to activity you know i found that people are pretty excited just to be together and practicing yeah right. that's, that's been exactly. kind of enough whereas before you know you know like you said you need a little bit more of a carrot right 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 that helps mm-hmm. <clears throat> what are your numbers but, like no. brian as far as the usual uh performance group well it depends on the you know the gig that we're doing because mm-hmm. some places will only allow us to bring so many people mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff but like if i just like if I could get everybody from that group, and that's the other thing is I also know I, I can never get everybody from that group because it's a ton of working musicians. Mm-hmm. 
But if I could get everybody from that group, we could do 25, 30, I think, nice. with, mm-hmm. with the advanced group. Awesome. But generally speaking, we do like 10 to 20 uh, for most things. And then when I do the workshops, um, <laughs> we, we pretty quickly, thankfully, we run into the problem of having more people than instruments. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, and so we got a new shipment in from Contemporanea of some some more stuff. Nice. Uh, we got some stuff from from Gosamba. The Gonza <laughs> section is a, is a lot of. Go I got Zamba. some mallets coming in, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> uh, we're gonna need those as well too. We're gonna we're that coming for. So them. funny. <laughs> <laughs> For people Dana. who don't know, like he had called me and was like, I'm going to get a bunch of mallets and tambourine baquettes. And then Dana Montero, like literally like four hours after our <laughs> conversation, bought every single mallet. And oh, baquette that's hilarious. <laughs> Dana, they were in my shopping cart. They were in my shopping cart. Those are my baquettes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever you <laughs> whenever you get them we'll take them because we can always use more and and also i went down to rio um oh yeah at the end of november as well did you too. pack a bag dude i always take a second bag and just jam of course, it full of, of course of, stuff. of yeah. course of course you know how it goes for sure <laughs> yeah, I, I brought a bunch of stuff back up with yeah. us tambourines i got some stuff from talita nice. we got some uh go go just leave your clothes uh, and bring back drums exactly that's what it is you know um so i brought back a bunch of stuff and so now we have enough stuff when we do the workshops we can we can do it for like you know 40 50 right people on, if i hey, if i really great. bring out like a bunch of extra shakers and that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. I, I, i've done that before you know back when i didn't have so much stuff it's like all right and there's going there's to be 30 miscellaneous you. shakers from my house <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Tell us about you when uh Gabrielle was there. He was just there what November, December? Oh man, that was amazing. Uh yeah, he he came through town. Um our mutual friend Alan had him up in uh Toronto. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Alan. 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 Uh he's he's an amazing guy. I I got to to talk with him a little bit uh when we did the Hippies du Mundo the online course oh, yeah. mm-hmm. with Gabrielle, which you did as well too, Courtney, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, amazing. This is how we all find each other. So these types of things. Uh, there was one good aspect of the pandemic, is that I've I, I feel like people have gotten more in touch across distances. Totally. You know. Yeah, I had no idea we, you were out there doing your thing. I think it was that that class, and then also like you were saying, your girlfriend's helping you like with yeah, the social media. The so I started seeing you more online. I was like, oh, this person's doing something out there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now we're really trying. Yeah. Um, and so like Alan had him up in Toronto for, to do uh, a couple of weeks up there. I think he was there. And uh, Contemporanea was nice enough to uh, make his layover in Miami a lot longer than it was originally mm-hmm. supposed to be. And he stayed for about a week and a half. Um, and we got to do... We had to do a ton of stuff. It was really timed very perfectly. Um, cool. Um, my friends in Electric Kiff, which is a local band down here, were playing a music festival that they had asked Miami Bloco to participate in with on one of their tunes. And so Gabrielle happened to be in town for that. Uh, so we were able to bring him up as like a guest artist on stage and play with the group nice. and bring Miami Bloco out to play at the front, the front of the stage. Um, we did a, a show at my friend, uh, Brandon Cruz has a center called the South Florida center for percussive arts down here, which is like a percussion wonderland. Had I seen this stuff when I was a kid, I would have been hmm. enamored with this place. Uh, and we did a show there. Um, and then we did a couple of workshops. Um, we did a workshop for the, the advanced group 
and got everybody together. And that was really cool because it was it was not only like Gabrielle leading like my buddies in the advanced group, but like over the course of the past like year or two since the pandemic, there's been a big influx of a lot of international music- musicians into Miami. Hmm. People coming from other countries, people like escaping New York to come down here. Hmm. Um, and so we've had this influx of all these guys like Jorge Glem from say Cuatro, like a Venezuelan Cuatro player who's phenomenal. Uh, Munir Hossen, Brazilian bass player, uh, was at that one. There was like all these like hmm. these top notch musicians who were in town who like were interested in Brazilian music came out to this one as well too. And and my teacher Ney Rosaro also happened to be in town oh, as right well on. too. Oh, great. And so it was the coolest thing in the world for me personally. Aww. To have like Gabrielle who inspired this thing and Ney who inspired me to get into Brazilian music as all. All my friends who I've infected with this madness. I shouldn't say infected, that's terrible. Um, uh, You know, they're playing this music together that none of them had ever been to Brazil or ever seen in the sub before. I mean, we have some Brazilians in the group, but like, you know, a lot of the people that we have here are from Miami and other countries and other places in the U.S. Um that that was a really really amazing moment and then gabrielle worked with the uh the beginner group and did a beginner workshop which is like a study in itself just to watch him how he works with beginners Mm -hmm. uh i learn a lot from that again like we were talking about earlier like how he how he sees people how he uh how he starts and this is the thing that i do with all mine you guys probably do something similar as well too vocalizing the rhythms Mm -hmm. singing the rhythms Mm -hmm. is so important to understanding them um, and I and I, I belabor this Nana Vasconcelos quote all the time, but I'll say it again: the first instrument is the voice, and the best instrument is the body. Hmm. And like when I when I heard that for the first time, it was just like, oh, it said perfectly what I've been thinking my entire life about this sort of stuff, about Brazil in particular. When I was in college, you know, like or in school, we learned how to read first. And then we played from that reading, you know, mm-hmm. whereas when I watched people teach the stuff in Brazil, they would always teach these things vocally, mm-hmm. you know, like you had to like sing these things or vocabulary to it. And like by singing this stuff, you learned it, you know, and like that's that's what that quote means to me is that like if you are a master of your voice, we've been using these things, these instruments our entire lives. We can play music with them, you know, like all these languages that we're speaking. These are music. This is music, you know. Um, And so if you use that instrument, then when you go to play the kaisha or go play the hapiki, this instrument that you don't know about, if you've already sung this stuff, you will have it ingrained in you in a different way than if you just jump into trying to play the thing, Mm -hmm. you know. So Mm -hmm. I, 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 I've seen him do this many times. And from that, I picked it up. And now whenever I start these workshops, we start by like, Stepping time and singing and being ridiculous and just getting over ourselves and making noises with the one instrument that we're all experts at, which is our voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to watch him work with a beginner group. Uh, then we did a hippie class, uh, which was just so good because I have all of these people down here now who just got a bunch of brand new Gabriel Policarpo hippies <laughs> and they've never had the instrument before. And now the guy is here whose name is on the drum. It's like, you can ask them to sign it, but you don't need to. You already it's already it. got yeah. yeah. It's already it. Um, That's hilarious. <laughs> and for them to be able to get into a room with this guy and just like soak up all the knowledge and like, I, I just, I can't. I can't tell you the number of times that I would like just 
I give these guys ear beatings after I came back from Brazil about all the amazing stuff I saw and this guy Gabriel and what he does with the drum. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, I know, Brian. It's enough already. For them to finally Dude, get to see that. Yes. They get it. They get yes. It now. Yes. And get it. Yes. It makes all the difference. Yes. And you can tell somebody so like jacked. the same thing a million times. Well, no, no, no. But then if some like a Brazilian, especially a charismatic person like like him, I'm sure he shows up and they're just like, oh my God. Oh, <laughs> I, know. Oh, I get that. it now. Yeah. They, oh, yeah, I get it understand. now. And so all of a sudden, like there, everybody's like shedding and sending yeah. videos back and forth. Now people are excited. It's you the know, importance of having somebody went. from that culture, like in your, totally. in your group, 100%. like teaching your people rather than like, yep. I always tell them, you're getting the second hand or I try to remember yep. to tell everybody you're get, you have to go to the source. Yes. Yep. yep. 100%. Yes. I say the same thing. Yes. And like, and what we're doing in Miami Blanco is we're not going to try to be Batuki Bata. We're not right. going to try and be Salguero. Right. We're going to be our own version of that. And that means that as a director, I'm going to be my own version of me. And that's what it is. But my inspiration is these guys down here that come from the realness. Yeah. And for you to understand where I want to go with this thing, you have to interact with them. Yeah. That's and cool. see what that stuff is first. That's firsthand. cool, man. Yeah, that's so that was experience. such a gift, such a gift getting to have him here, and and we got to sit and talk a lot of just Blocko philosophy, his views on this kind of stuff, um, like I the 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 knowledge that I gained from him about like, all right, um, if you're setting this kind of group up, you need to realize that like no samba school is run by one person. You know, you need a lot of other people behind you. Yeah supporting you in order for this thing to work at all right. so you can't continue to try and run this thing by right. yourself as much as you might want to right. you have to have you know a, a directoria you have to have people who are specializing in instruments helping out da, 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 da. and those people don't necessarily need to be wizards at the instrument they just need to have like a functional understanding of and and a capacity to teach and all that sort of stuff you know mm -hmm. and a little and bit of organization like they can't be total flakes right <laughs> they you gotta got, have you like have to know that they're gonna show up and that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff you know like for they sure kind of organize their people a little bit you know they gotta yeah cool totally totally but like those people you find them in the group yeah because True. those people like they rise up they start wanting to do things they start mm -hmm. trying to like take some leadership roles mm -hmm. and when you offer them things you see the people that jump and react to that sort of stuff so now we have people in the group who are very much like that who specialize in certain things and i have people in the group who are like so good uh, at getting others involved, like my buddy Alejandro, Gordon, uh, these people, these Gordon Daniels, shout out Gordon oh, Daniels. You guys Gordon. know Gordon Daniels. Hi, Gordon. Gordon, <laughs> Gordon came like an angel in the pandemic to Miami. I yeah, didn't know the guy he, at like, all before. Screamed out of Brazil, right? Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> back to Miami. <laughs> and he hit me up on Instagram, and uh, you know, I before we had met personally, obviously, and just like the, the we knew all the same people. He was talking the yeah. same language of the same places. Cool. We went to Rio. I was like, ah, cool. I like this guy. I yeah. like this guy. And so he was super interested in being a part of the Blanco. And and one thing that he's been great from from the beginning since he's joined us is getting other people involved cool. and like sending people to come check this out cool. uh and when we're doing workshops like finding people who are nearby and like hey you want to drum you know <laughs> like those types of things you know like awesome. that he's he's great at that yeah he's a great networker and, and you need those two. yeah you need those people man that's a huge skill again a good skill that you should have as a musician that's not necessarily taught in music school you mm -hmm. know like that is a that is a huge skill as a professional musician, and he has that stuff in spades. Um, 
And so, yeah, uh, yeah, Gabrielle was really good about pointing those types of things out. Like these are the things that you should look for that can help you build uh, what we talked about earlier, going towards performance, all this sort of stuff. The uh, the, the balance of the group, like how many kaishas you should have versus how many peakies mm-hmm. you should have, all the minutiae of this sort of stuff. You know, we went over a ton of it. Awesome. Um, what a great resource. An, an, a valuable resource. Yeah, an valuable resource. Cool. And he, he helps me practice my Portuguese. <laughs> which <laughs> which is is better than it used to be but it can still improve it can still improve for sure i uh i've, I've had some moments down there where it's you know i've especially during this pandemic I've, uh, I've done a couple of like lives with people down there you i don't know if you guys know uh sobe hipiki that group oh yeah did you do one of those macalau i did one of those <laughs> nice i did Bandero, etc. with that guy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Leonardo, uh, I forget his last name, but uh, I did that one a long time ago during maybe almost a year ago or something like that. And it's like, you have to talk for an hour in Portuguese. Yeah, after a <laughs> while, was... your brain, I mean, I'm not that good, but your brain gets tired. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's exhausting. The worst one was when it was before the pandemic. I went down there in 2019 for the summer and uh, there was um nacho delgado and tulio arujo mm. uh, uh and who else was there uh, gustavo bali uh and bernardo and susano and i all happened to be in town at the same time and pandero connect convention putting putting <laughs> on like a pandero convention a pandero show where we would all like you know, get up and like talk about our stories and play for each other a little bit. And it was kind of like an homage to Susano that night because we were all just telling him like how much he inspired us and everything like that. And they're like, do you want to be a part of this? And I was like, yeah, of course. This is amazing. I mean, I would love to share the stage with all you people, freaks of nature. Like, they're <laughs> incredible players. I would love to. Uh, I, I didn't really realize until I got up there that I, that meant that I had to talk for about 45 minutes <laughs> to a crowd of people in Portuguese. <laughs> I did not do any preparing for Like I just walked into that thing like, oh, oh, that's what this is going to be. I don't know what I thought it was going to be like. We were just going to like play for four hours. Like, no, you got to talk and tell your story. Um, so I, I was, I just, oh man, I remember my, my voice jumped up an octave. I was, <laughs> I was so scared. I, I tried to make a joke at the beginning, you know, and it smoothed things over, but, um, but it was so, that aspect of it, I think is so crucial. I know y'all are taking Portuguese classes now. And I think to anyone who's, who's interested in this music and this culture and, and all this sort of stuff, learning the language is so, so important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, it's, it, it's two things. It opens up your world of communication with other people um, as far as like the amount of people that you can reach and that you can talk to. And like, when you get into this area, there are, there's a circle of people who speak great English and you can just communicate with them. No problem. And then there's another circle of people inside of that who don't speak such great English. And if you don't have a connection or a translator or something like that, and, and even with a translator, it's different because you're like working yeah. through somebody. Yeah. If you can talk to those people directly and oftentimes it's, it's easier than you think it is. Because you're just talking about drums, right? For the most part, you know, <laughs> and that simplifies yeah. things, you know. Like, and, and when I took my first lessons with Gabriel and things like that, my Portuguese was terrible. Like the lessons were fine because we were just talking about drums, you know, and like that translates and that's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it 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 helps you open that world of communication and being able to access other people. But it also just and it, it incredibly deepens your knowledge. Yes. 
of the the culture yes. and the music yes. and everything. Because you can understand and you see connections between two different things you had no idea were connected. You yep. start beginning And they're supposed to be connected. You're yeah. just ignorant of it because you don't exactly. speak the language. Exactly. Right. You know? Yeah, there's so much there that you just completely is over your head because you don't realize it. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, you, you don't see the constellations. You just see a bunch of stars, you know. And right. once you understand the language a little bit, you start to pick up on what those groupings are. And you can kind of see the relations between things. And then, like, my, my love for Samba, like just grew immensely mm-hmm. once I started understanding the lyrics because it was just like, oh, this is blues, you know? Mm-hmm. Like these people are just like singing about like heartache and drinking <laughs> and like, I, honestly, it's country music. It's what I grew up with in Texas, you know, just to <laughs> let's yeah, do what I prefer musically to a much better setting musically, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, and the thing about Samba in particular is like when you listen to all that stuff and you don't speak the language, you just think like, oh, this is all just beautiful music about beautiful people. And like, you don't understand like the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of it. And like, when you, when you listen to like, uh, you know, Nelson Cavaquinho lyrics, like they're just like pulling like your heart out of your chest right. with this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so dark. And that kind of contrast against the brightness and the, and the joy mm-hmm. of the music mm-hmm. is what makes Samba such an interesting and beautiful art form. Mm-hmm. That's and it. it totally escapes you unless you speak the language. That's a beautiful right. description. Yeah. You know? So I, I, I'm, I'm super glad to hear that you guys are getting into it, and I and I recommend it to to anybody. Diana's in it. Um, She's been in it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> She's Fantastic. Oh. Ta falando. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sim, sim. Claro que sim. Well, uh, so Diana, your your background is your family is Mexican. Do mm-hmm. you, you speak Spanish beforehand as well, too? Yeah, Spanglish. I speak Italian. Spanglish. Very and nice. I'm, oh, Italian, too. Yeah, That's and I'm trying to learn else. Korean online. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Wow. Polyglot. A true polyglot. Yes. That, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I can barely do two. And now I'm trying to add Spanish after having been in uh, Miami all these years. My Spanish has, has never grown because I've just leaned on Portuguese like a crutch. Um, because you can speak it right. down here and people will just understand you, right. you know. But I'm trying to get Spanish under my wing now and uh, and it's a lot. Even even though the people like say those languages, ah, they're so related, it makes it easier to learn one or the other. It also makes it incredibly difficult to separate. Right. Yeah. Head, I find right. it hard. I was taking a lesson in Spanish the other day and I was wait, what's the word, you know, for that in Spanish? Yeah, it's hard to, mm-hmm, yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. right, hard to separate them. Yeah, I try to flip I mean, between to the two when I'm studying so I can, so oh, I can have that, um, yeah, wow. so I can. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to, to, to like, and I don't, I don't know, to, to separate them a little bit. You're like, all right, I'm, this is going to be my Brazilian hour and I'm just going to work on Portuguese stuff and this is going to be a Spanish hour and I'm going to watch, wow. you know this to try and like uh, get get my brain in that mode because i would like to be able to be more fluent in both those languages that's a goal of mine we'll we'll, we'll get there eventually cool. my yeah. um my, my girlfriend is from san andres in the caribbean and her family oh, wow. is mostly out of colombia mm. so they they make fun of me for my <laughs> spanish because i speak with a with a portuguese accent a brazilian accent probably the karaoke thing too they call me brianzinho <laughs> they think it's hilarious they think it's hilarious <laughs> now brian did so you I ever get better with my spanish did you ever go to Cuba? I mean, I know you said you first heard no. Polynesian. I have never been. Mm. I and it was a huge, huge regret of mine having lived this close all these years. Right. 
Um, and, and I will think, I, uh, you know, one of the things that I think has helped me to have any of the success that I've, that I've had and get, uh, get into this music is just going to Brazil over and over and over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And I just go there all the time. But the detriment to that is that I, I didn't explore a lot of other places. I've never been anywhere else in South America. I've never been to Cuba. I've been to Jamaica. I think it's the only Caribbean island I've ever been to. I've been here all this time and it's just, I've never invested into going to those places because I've been so single-minded sure. about Rio, which okay. has helped me get to a certain point. Right. But at the same time, I feel uh, now that I have like a lot of places that I, I need to start going to, to, to understand, you know, to understand Brazil better a little bit as well too, but also to understand Miami better, to understand my, my place in, in this world a little bit better. I, I think it, it would be helpful for me to, to go to those places. And Cuba is definitely on the top of the list. I know now is a rough time to go for sure, right. but um, I've had so many f friends um, who, who have been inspired by, by that music and have gone down there and had their lives changed. I would love to at some point. Have you been? Yeah. That's kind of what led me down this path. Oh, yeah, really? Was going to Cuba was, for the first time? Yeah, I've been twice. And like I mentioned at the beginning, I studied dance then and music. So it started with that. Um, and then it, it... You were studying dance before you went to Cuba. Right. And so then I studied okay. uh, the styles there and then came back and um, just really got involved with that. And then that led me to Brazilian music, uh, dance. Oh, mm -hmm. gotcha. Yeah, and and like going to see how it's done in a place like that must have been something that really pushed you to to get further into oh, it. Oh, definitely. And then having great and then teachers, getting further into it here too helps mm -hmm. you branch out too. And then you studied back here in the in the U.S. as well mm -hmm. too. Very mm -hmm. nice. That's excellent. Yeah, someday. Yeah. That's that's definitely. We all want to go somewhere now. <laughs> Haiti is on the list. Yeah, I know. We all want. We definitely do. <laughs> it's also there's so but, many places. I mean, it's like. And you could take a deep dive into Senegal, into Guinea, yeah. into Trinidad, you know, like. Yep. 100%. It's just like so many places. And every place you go, you the further you go into it, the more you realize yeah. how little you know yeah. about it. Yeah. And know? how deep it goes. Yeah, totally. Brazil is definitely that way, but like mm -hmm. so is almost everywhere else, mm -hmm. you know? So like. Um, just the depth of study I've done there has helped me to, to appreciate the depth of music in other places mm -hmm. that maybe, uh, you know, just growing up here in the U S we don't necessarily get uh, open to that mm -hmm. stuff so much. You know, I will say from, from my upbringing anyway, and in, in Dallas, it was kind of like, all right, well, there's the U S and then everything South of it is people who speak Spanish, you know, like we didn't even know mm -hmm. that like people who speak Portuguese in Brazil and we didn't understand the difference between, or at least I didn't between the different cultures uh, Colombia versus Cuba versus Venezuela. You know, you were like, taking all that Texas history. <laughs> I know, and, and three years of that sort of stuff. I can tell you, like the Battle of San Jacinto, blow by blow. Oh, but like, I couldn't pick out a cumbia to oh. save my life at that age. You know? Um. So, yeah, there's so much more to explore, and uh, as things open up, I hope you get to do a lot more of that. Uh, I wanted to tell us. Oh, go ahead, Diana. Well, I wanted to touch base on uh, your experience in Carnival. Yeah, sure. Could you tell us about that story? Yeah, we we heard uh, this on a um, on the, the glue the, pod the glue pod. 
<laughs> he was talking about your shoes and stuff. It was a yes. good, yeah. That was... <laughs> sure, Shout sure, out Glupod. <laughs> Glupod, making the rounds. Aaron Glukoff, he's an amazing drummer. Uh, he does a Lemon City trio that I play with down here. And he's got a very cool podcast that he was nice enough to bring me on. I told him this story because uh, we were playing a gig, I think, here in Miami, like right after it happened, I, right after I got back from from Rio. So it was fresh when I told him <laughs> and he requested it on his podcast as well, too. Um, I went down there for 20. When was that? That was 2020. Yeah, that was right before the pandemic. The last thing I did before we shut it all down was just go be at a sea of people <laughs> in Brazil. <laughs> all the COVID. It maybe. sounds crazy now. Um, it does, but it also sounds very yes. good. I, I miss mm-hmm. that so much. Um, I uh, I went down there right before, and Guilherme and Gustavo, uh, Masters mm-hmm. of Salguero, were nice enough to invite me, Bernardo, uh, and uh, a handful of other people. I think there were about five of us there to play cymbals for Salguero. And like they were doing, like the theme that year was. Um, uh what was it, it was that oh hey negro i think oh it was for, uh, that's what it was it was supposed to be about the, about the circus and the first black clowns i remember that in brazil yeah. yeah it was cool those were cool uh, costumes at the bateria they were amazing costumes yeah, like i don't know who did the face painting there but they were really that was really cool they had a whole factory set up for that i had no idea what i was walking into because like i i I showed up the day of. Uh, that that is an amazing amount of trust that they put in me to not screw up their entire year. Oh my god! Yeah. And so like I'm I'm That's on a lot the plane. of pressure. And plus the symbols are like right in the front. Yeah. They're right in the front, and they're just these big moments where you just like hit the symbols and you throw them up in the air to make a big visual moment out of it. You know, like <laughs> if you screw it up, it's it's noticeable. Uh, and like, so I had to learn the Enheiru and I had to learn where the different bosses were and what the different like ones for, you know, the symbol hits were for all that sort of stuff. I showed up, uh, at like, you know, the plane lands at six in the morning, seven in the morning, something terrible like that. Carnival is already happening. I go like to a blocko during the middle of the day. Uh, I go back and I drop my stuff off at the place and, and where I was staying. And I go to Salguero to go pick up my costume to have with me. Uh, I talk with Guillermo Gustavo. We talk through what it's going to be. I was like, okay, I'll see you guys tonight. I go back home. I try and sleep for like an hour, but I'm so excited about what's going to happen tonight. I didn't sleep at all. Um, and I showed up to to meet them outside of the San Bodromo. And, and it, it was very funny because like I immediately felt like marching band all over again because it was just like a big truck with a bunch of drums in it. Mm-hmm. And people standing around outside, like getting dressed and putting on the, co- you know, like it felt mm-hmm. very much like marching band all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, in a parking lot somewhere. Exactly. 100% same thing. And so I've got this, this costume that's been given to me that day. Um, and I start trying putting this thing on, we have to go get the makeup done. They had like, they had a separate like setup for the makeup. And like, we went through like a factory. There was like (laughs) three or four stations you went through. Somebody put on this base and somebody put on this other stuff and and it was like, it was like lacquer that they were putting on your faces. Not that I wear a lot of makeup to begin with, so what would I know? But this felt like very, very thick makeup. Well, nobody and looks smudged or sweated off or anything. like when Because you- it was supposed to be rainproof makeup. Uh, yeah. It looked really you know, it cool. Be, it was supposed to be like waterproof, like rainproof makeup. And because it did rain while we were playing, you know, mm. as it almost always mm-hmm. does. Um, so, like, we got that makeup put on. And I'm feeling like, this is incredible. Like, look at this costume I've got on. And I go to put on my shoes, these like gold boots. 
And I wore a size 12 and these things were probably like a seven. <laughs> and it was like, there's oh, no way that this is happening. But it's also like, you know, an hour before we're supposed to go on. I go to like bother Guilherme. I was like, yo, do you have any other shoes? And he was like, I don't have time for He's this like, now. Dude. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm the mystery. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but my shoes. I was like, how about a knife? Can you just give me a knife? And maybe I can like cut out like the back portion because I, I don't want to like look bad. I can't just cut out and have my toes sticking yeah. out of the front, yeah. you know, because like I'm going to be standing in the front yeah. and we're going to get judged on costume. Yeah. Like, if I could just cut like a slit in the heel, maybe I can relieve a little bit of pressure and it won't be so visible. Make them into like, you know, like slippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I should have done. I didn't get that far with it because these things were thick. And so I was able to cut open like a little bit of it. And I got my heel out the back, but my my knuckles, like my toes, were still like uh. making a fist in this thing. You know, like they were just completely curled up. Oh my god! And like it, it's happening. Like we're standing in front. Like the the askenta is going on. Like they're starting to play, and it's just like, well, <laughs> shit. If I lose a toe, I lose a toe. Like this is what it has to be. I'm not going to like take my these shoes off or complain about it. Like yeah. I gotta I gotta yeah, do this. Gotta go. And we're just going to like, we're going to play through the pain today. That's what we're going to do, Brian. Uh, and, and the, like the energy, like the adrenaline, like that definitely took over. And like for the first like couple of minutes, it was like, oh, this is not such a big deal. But like, as you guys know, it's an hour mm-hmm. and 20 minutes to get to the end of the sort of thing. And after about like 20 minutes or something like that, it's like, all right, I, I think <laughs> that that line about losing a toe, that might be serious now. And like, <laughs> I don't know that I really do want to go through with that. Am I that committed? Um, but I knew that we had to get like past the judges, you know, mm-hmm. that was the thing that I just wanted to do was make sure that we get past the judges. So we go into that first like little station there mm-hmm. and we come back out and we go past the judges first, we're the, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and I'm, we're in the middle of the Sambodromo and like, I can feel myself in the middle of this thing as it's happening. It's just like, it's unreal. The energy of being inside this machine. And it's not even playing like kaisha or something like in the in the section just the symbols just being around all of this madness was just intense Mm -hmm. and all the people watching you and knowing that you're on tv and all this stuff is going through your head and you don't want to screen the stuff up because you know people are working all this stuff all year and you got to have a smile on your face and we're going that's the thing man you could screw it up for everybody that's like Mm -hmm. so intimidating i can't live with that I can't live with that. I can't have that on my shoulders. So we get through the midfield. We get around to that second like little area that the battery goes into. Mm -hmm. And we go in there. And at that point, I just like, we're past the judges now. And I just like ripped my shoes apart from the back, (laughs) you know? And like, I just had my entire heel standing out of the back of the, of the shoes. And like, it was enough to like relieve the pressure and get to the end. Yeah. And like, I remember we got towards the very end and you know how it is. Like you have to hit 120 on the dot. And you're the you last thing. Short. Yeah. And we're like the last thing. And all of a sudden, like we realized like, oh, we got to hustle. And then I just start hearing people say, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and we just run, sprint <laughs> towards the end and get towards the end. And then the celebration at the end of the thing, like the batteria doesn't want to stop playing. And then there's people over there in that sector that they want to hear you keep going and you're still playing after the fact. And it's just like, the explosion of joy of getting through that was just unreal. And my poor little toes, when I took them out later <laughs> that night, were just all black oh, and blue no. and curled up. It took a long time to recover from that. <laughs> I, I got myself pretty badly on those, but I didn't have to amputate anything. So well, that's all's, well that, all's well that ends well. 
Wow. Your poor toes. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to be the reason that screwed it up. You know, I was not going to. Yeah, I couldn't screw up the, the symbol part. I couldn't screw oh, up man. like uh, the the costume. It was just I'm, we're going to get through this. Did they send you any material ahead of time to kind of work through no. and learn? I mean, I got the Samba Nihedu, Um, You know, I had the track to listen to, and it wasn't like I don't know that they it came from Salguero, but one of the guys who was in like the the special section of the symbol players made a video mm. of like what the 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 visual calls mm. for the bosses were. Mm-hmm. And what you play on each of those bosses and what you play on the verse and, da, 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 and that sort of stuff. And so he sent that video out and I was like on the plane, like just studying that ahead of time. Yeah. Trying to nail it. And then we just sang through it there, played through it a couple of times and boom, right went on. out there and did it. <laughs> yeah. Dove in. But that was the last thing I did before coronavirus hit. And I'm, I'm so lucky and happy that I got yeah. to do it. I, even if I did lose it, that would have been a good story. And <laughs> <You> worth can- <laughs> can cruise on that feeling for a while. <laughs> I can. I, it's, it's been holding me for a while. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, we well, don't want to keep you too long. It's already, what, 1130 there? But we need to talk to him about his his book. Oh, this, that's right. Pandero Modern. The, oh, the Pandero Moderno. Or yeah, Pandero sure, sure. We can do that Moderno. as well, too. Yeah, Pandero Moderno. Is um, it an online course or a book? Tell us. It's an, it's an online course. Ah, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. I'll make it quick. It was uh, Bernardo and I, uh, since we met, had the idea of putting together a method based on, you know, his his teaching and his view of the instrument, and which obviously a lot of it comes from Susano, but he has a, a take on the instrument that is 100% his own. Mm. And he was a big, big, big inspiration for me. And, and we hit it off so early on. Uh, and I kind of had like more facility with the academic aspects of things and writing thing down mm-hmm. and the pedagogy and how to organize that sort of stuff. And he had all this material. So we worked together to create this thing over the course of, man, it was like seven years that we did this Whoa. thing. Um, and because we did so much stuff, you know, like I, 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 I told him at the very beginning of the process, I was like, just write everything that you want to do and we'll edit it down. And maybe we didn't do such a great job of editing it down because <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> you should see the file of the things that we didn't put into these videos. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty more stuff that mm. we can do in the future. Um, but we made this, this method that's designed to kind of like answer a lot of things like I talked about in the dissertation, um, you know, uh, the 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 history of the instrument, Susano and his innovations, the uh, the division of the hand, uh, the left hand machine, the how to mic the instrument. There's a big chunk of it. The first like ten chapters of it are devoted towards kind of the the setup of the instrument and how to kind of approach it. And then we have some preliminary rhythms that are like real world practical rhythms, you know, full and backbeat and Pachitualdo mm. rhythms that are that are not you know traditional in any sense what they are is they're like using this new pandero because we think of the pandero the modern pandero as susano kind of like changed it as being a universal instrument in the same way that we consider a piano to be a universal instrument or a drum set to be a universal instrument things that like are not necessarily tied to one you know regional musical lineage Hmm. you know uh, the Bandero is is very much that way as well now too, thanks to Susano. You know, he was the first one to really kind of break it out and to put it into other contexts. 
And underneath him, there's this generation of people who are pushing it even further in that context, Bernardo being one of them. Um, so the, the rhythms that we're playing, we're using that kind of uh, Susano technique of constantly alternating, using both sides of the mm-hmm. hands and having a low two drum, low tuned drum with a microphone um, to recreate these different rhythms. And the preliminary rhythms are more accessible ones that are easier to get started with, but you're also learning how to play a rhythm at the same time. And it's not just doing uh, a stick control exercise yeah. over and over again, is it, which can be helpful. Is it more for, for like intermediate players, would you say? We, ha- we have both packages of it. You know, I, I think like a lot, because once you get b- past the preliminary rhythms, then you get into this world of like uh, what we call uh, adaptations and where we go through like Northeast Brazil and we do a bunch of different foho styles and then we do maracatu mm, and then cool. we do mangi beat and then we do samba mm-hmm. and this whole world of samba and then we do international styles of salsa and blues oh, and reggae. Uh, we do electronica, drum and beat, dubstep. Like we Holy cow, you did do everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Those some... are just ones that I can remember right now. Wow. You know, like there's a ton of this sort of wow. stuff. And so that whole world, there's a bunch of the stuff in there that is like, yeah, definitely intermediate or advanced. You yeah. know, there's stuff in there that like I still can't work through, you know. I don't even know how he did it, goddammit. <laughs> some of the stuff is really intense. Uh, but we have everything kind of charted out by like star levels of difficulty, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So you can look through it and and find like the one star, two star stuff that's more approachable or the five star stuff that's more challenging. Cool. Um, I think it is, it's, it's for beginners and for intermediates and for advanced players because there's so much stuff to go through. There's like seven and a half hours, I think of video total to go through of all this sort of stuff. But there is like a big chunk of it that's devoted to just getting started and beginner exercises and beginner rhythms and that sort of stuff. One thing I will say though, is that it is very much geared towards this iteration of Pandero, Pandero Moderno, you know? the Susano style of playing. It is not like a, a Parchito Alto, like mm-hmm. Samba method, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think one thing I've learned a lot about Pandero over the years is that my upbringing with it was so influenced by Susano. That's what I like thought Pandero really was. And <clears throat> as Susano himself will say, it's, it's an iteration. It's a new creation within the world of Pandero, but it's a lineage that has been going on a long time. And it's branched off into different worlds. And you have, you know, uh, like Pagoji, Bandero, that like 12-inch nylon mm-hmm. skin. That huge, That's heavy its thing. own world. <laughs> that, yeah, you don't move your left hand at all because you can't. Right. It's so heavy that you have to use all right-hand stuff, which means that you can't like alternate the same way that Susano does. And you have to do a lot of doubling. And it's a different technique, you know. And I've gotten a lot in that style of playing over the past couple of years. And I love it. It's, but it's another style of the drum entirely. Can I ask you a question about that? You see some of these older guys, um, like Carlinos, Pandero, Gioru, and they kind of they hold mm-hmm. they hang the drum off their hand. Is that yeah the same? Totally. If you watch, even the younger guys now do a lot of the same sort of thing. Uh, if if it's a big twelve inch drum like that, you are not holding your arm out straight. I'm, I'm making the motions now, but I know it's not. <laughs> uh, you, I'm just going by road at this point. You are not holding it out straight anymore. You're just kind of yeah. like you let your wrist bend so that the drum can hang down, and you're almost playing it 
like like it's hanging vertically. Yeah, I've I've seen old, like old those older players do that too with just like a smaller like ten inch drum, like kind of yeah. doing this interesting hanging off the hand kind of. And and if you go up to the northeast, like in in like Koku and Bayonne, like that's how it's played. Mm. You mm-hmm. know, in the northeast, is it's played with even the smaller drums. Is it's played by like kind of holding it down like that and letting it hang mm-hmm. vertically and just shaking it back and forth in that way. You know. Mm-hmm. And then there's Cavallo Marinho. Mm-hmm. There, there's all these different styles of what the Pandero is, you know, uh, regionally speaking. And I think when people go to study the instrument, they either come at it from the Susano perspective, like where I came from it and, and saw it that way, mm-hmm. or they, they see it where it's most commonly seen in like Pagogi, you know, and in Samba, and they come at it from that perspective. And that's a different tradition entirely. You know, they, they, they come out of the same place. You know, but like where nylon head playing is now and like modern Pagogi, like the stuff that's on the those kids on Instagram with their 12 inch banderos. It's crazy <laughs> what they can do with these drums now. Like they're they're so fast and agile with their right hand and all this kind of like it's almost like this kind of like Kanjira, like split finger technique mm. that they've developed essentially now. Um, that's incredible to watch, but it's a very, very different thing than the Susano style or what we teach uh, in the method. You know, the, the method is much more towards, uh, well, there was another name that we kicked around for a while, like when we had that big meeting of, of Tulio and Nacho and all those guys and Susano, we called it Encontro du Pandero Grave. Hmm. Hmm. You know, right. base Pandero, base, low yeah. tube Pandero, yeah. you know? And I, and I think that's kind of really what, what it is. It sums it up very well. Um, it's, it's about the instrument being like tuned low and mic'd underneath it's about having the, the ability to like bend the pitch like Susano does um, and have this kind of like left hand rotation that comes from Shoru. Um, that is a big part of the way that Susano plays. And you have to break that at times to play it and you can mix. And there's Pandurisas like um, Larissa Yumaita. Um, have, you, have you seen her perform at all before? <laughs> she's incredible. I got to send you her afterwards as well too. She's... Um, uh, I think she's living in Brasilia, if I remember correctly. Um, and she really has an amazing way of mixing those two styles. Hmm. She's very comfortable in like the nylon pagoji world and also very comfortable in the pandero jikoru, the pandero grave world as well too. And she kind of goes back and forth between those worlds in a way that I don't see a lot of people doing. Um, Evesen's another guy who kind of plays everything. Um there's a, there's a whole mm-hmm. world of people that like are are just you know we are all kind of like children of Susano <laughs> in, in a sense. I really like uh, Leo Fernandez. Yeah, he's incredible. He's great. He's incredible. Um, uh, Gustavo Bali is another one. Uh, really inspired by his work with Codigo Tenario was really cool. Tulio mm-hmm. um, is is a wizard and and super prolific and like very studious and and the stuff that nacho does is just you know unreal with all the doubles um uh, uh i you know i i've been lucky enough to to be in communication with a lot of these banderistas tulio created like a little whatsapp group where there's like just bandero players from everywhere in brazil now that are on this thing yeah he's all over and, youtube yeah he's he's great on social media he is. I learned a lot from that guy, man. <laughs> who's the uh, uh, Who's the guy with the big beard that smiles a lot? Uh, uh, Leo. That's Leo. Oh yeah. Rodriguez. <laughs> I like watching him just because he's so happy. Oh, is, <laughs> just so, like, yeah. 
smiling. Yeah, he's yeah, Bacinellas, Bacinellas. Uh, <laughs> he's he's amazing, man, and and he's taken it to another level with like the 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 constant content. Mm-hmm. And like those small digestible things that are perfect for social media. I know he has his own online course as well, too. Mm-hmm. That's super, super successful. Uh, he's a big inspiration as far as like uh, how to reach people. And he can play his ass off, man. He's, he's an incredible Bundero player. I, I, I saw him. I saw a video of him like maybe like 10 years ago when I was hanging out. I used to play with this group here in Miami called um, uh Club du Choro, du Miami, Choro Club of Miami, mm-hmm. and it was it was it was the best school for me, especially getting out of UM and just like being in the world again. Like, I would just hang out with these guys at a place called Boteco, a bar in in Miami, the Brazilian bar in Miami. And every Wednesday night, we would get together and just play Choro heads, and it was me and like these dudes who were like in their fifties and sixties from Brazil who just loved Choro music. The same way that like I used to when I was a kid, I would play with like old dudes who like played jazz heads over and over again. You know, like it was very much that same sort of feeling. And they would always like share with me like videos of performances that they thought were amazing. Mm. I should check out. And there was one that I don't even remember who he was playing with. He didn't have a beard. I didn't know who this guy was, but I was just like blown away by that player. And I think it was maybe like six months ago or something like that. I saw that video again. I was like, that's Leo. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't have the beard, but that's Leo. I know, I know that style of playing. He's incredible, man. I, there's, there's, there's a real amazing new generation of people that have come after Susano that are taking the instrument in a lot of different places, uh, that are taking the education of the instrument in a lot of different places. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, really cool to be able to see it all happening on social media with, especially with those ones who are so public with it, you know? Can you tell people who are listening how to get a hold of your, your course? How do they, how do they find it? So you can find us, um, on, so the Bandura Moderno is the first method that we were releasing, uh, on a website that we created called Groove Art. You can, you, uh, if it's in Portuguese, you pronounce it Groove Archie. And in English, it's Groove Art, but it's an art with an E at the end, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's Groove Art with an E at the end.com. Uh, and, and you go there and you can purchase the Pandero Moderno. Um, we're going to be releasing future methods uh, based on the same style of Pandero Moderno there for other instruments. Is it like a monthly um, fee or do you pay one time? No, or? this it, it is a, uh, right now it's just a, you know, a single fee cool. and we have like different packages mm. and then you get access to this stuff forever. It's hosted on a website called Hotmart, uh, which is a Brazilian website where a lot of people are selling courses now. I, I think Leo's course is on Hotmart. Mm. A lot of the people you saw. I just got a, a Hamilton G. Holanda course mm. during the pandemic on Hotmart. Uh, that was really interesting as well too. Uh, so all the videos are hosted there and you have access to them uh, forever once you've purchased mm. the thing and and you get uh, you know, access to Bernardo and I to to ask us questions about it and uh, be a part of the Facebook community that we have for the group. Um, and uh, and we, we have some plans to as it grows to like make a subscription based thing. Um, I know there's there's another website that I, I've, I've used before called congachops.com. That's just a great service for this kind of stuff for, for congas and tamales mm. and bongo, uh, and they do a monthly subscription. So I think we might be looking at that going forward as well too, because even with just Bandera Moderno, seven and a half hours of material is a lot of stuff to go through. You know, <laughs> like if you were to honestly go through this method, it would take you years. Yeah. I think you know really. Um, 
So, um, so yeah, but you can find it there on grooveart.com. Uh, we have Instagram, socials, uh, Facebook, um, all that cool. stuff. No TikTok yet. We'll put a, we're not we'll that, put a link on the cool. No TikTok. <laughs> not yet. One of these not days. Not yet. Okay. Somebody, right. somebody posted Miami Blocko in a TikTok, and I was like, oh, no. Now we have to start this, too. <laughs> ah, damn it. <laughs> but, yeah, so there's that. And then, uh, of course, uh, yeah, the Miami Blocko stuff. And, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys all the info so that you can share it with your people. Cool. Wonderful. And share it on TikTok. Diana's on TikTok. On TikTok. Are you on TikTok? <laughs> I am not on TikTok. I'm, I like <laughs> videos on TikTok. <laughs> Courtney's on TikTok too. I like to make fun of Diana for being on TikTok. <laughs> I love TikTok. TikTok. I have to say, like, I used to make fun of it and now I'm on it. I love it. I have to actually it's ration it out. I only addictive. look at it like yeah. once a month because I won't stop. Yeah, it's amazing. That's the thing about it is it's so scary addictive. Like, mm-hmm. I it mean, because Instagram is bad enough, but like TikTok is just like ramming it down your throat like yes. it's just one video after yes. a next after a next and they, their algorithm just has you pegged <laughs> i think it yeah. i think it really like if you're looking at positive amazing things it shows you more positive amazing things and so you just get sucked into positive amazing things i don't know it's and if you're not i imagine there's <laughs> it the takes dark you down side a of dark it too rabbit yeah, hole. i imagine yeah. that's there too but there's a whole other land of, oh, of man, dark there's so there, much sure. cool stuff on there people creating like there's a lot of native american stuff and there's all kinds of really cool dance all right stuff. maybe i have to give it another chance because the last time i i opened it up it was just like tiktok challenges and you know no it's I, like I, people in there's all the, like this like roller skating scene in atlanta and people like dance roller skating and videos of that what? there's just like re- and native american dance and I, it's so cool okay. there's so okay, much okay, cool okay. stuff and then just the random you know like <laughs> funny dog thing that <laughs> that's just good for up. the soul <laughs> miami bloco yep 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 miami bloco is gonna make an appearance there someday yep. we'll get there yep. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful. Well, is there anything we didn't ask you that you want to share with people? Um, or any no, shout outs, I, anything I, like that? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I would, would like to to thank uh, Contemporania for their support over all the years. I mean, like um, they have they have been so helpful from the get go uh, with everything that I've done, and I've always appreciated like you guys do i know with gosamba it makes such a difference to have the real instruments you know yeah from brazil yep. they and, sound right and we and we when we, we see go to schools and everybody's got pearl gear and minor gear and it's like you know no disrespect to those companies like those that gear is not made in the right place or with the with the right people or that sort of stuff and it doesn't have the right sound yeah and uh contemporanea you know does and i've always found it very to be very important to get the get the real instruments in people's hands and it makes a big difference so they've been super supportive cooperman uh frame drums has been amazingly supportive i i use their panderos a ton especially for like the low tune suzano mm-hmm. stuff they're fantastic and amazing um and you know i yeah i guess just thanks to to all of my 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 friends in brazil who have been so supportive over over the years letting me learn this stuff and being open and showing these things to me sharing stuff with me uh it has been just an incredible you know blessing in my life i don't have a better word for it um to to be able to be a part of that community a little bit and get to know that 
whole of the world that was so foreign to me being a little boy from Texas, you know, um, they've been welcoming with open arms, much like you guys have experienced with everybody you've talked to here, I'm sure. Um, all my, all my brothers in PRD Maish and Malta and Susano, um, even, you know, have people that I've met in the Samba schools recently, Talita, uh, Diani and Vila, like, uh, there's, it's just endless. Um, how many people have been helpful to me along the way. And I, th I, I want to make sure that everything that I do, uh, is, is pointing back towards those people who have been such inspirations for me. You know, and and that everything that we do with Miami Block and Gruvarchi and Bjarni Maish and da, 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 is serves to to help lift up that uh, that community and that music because it's uh, it's it's given so much to the world, but it's given so much to me for sure. Yeah. And uh, and my Miami folks, I got a lot of good people that I work with in Miami that have been very supportive uh, and have listened to me babble about Brazil. Uh, like you, you poor people have for the past couple of hours. Um, um, you know, the, the electric Kiff that I play with all the time, Lemon City Trio, Twin, New Deco Ensemble. Uh, have some Brazilian groups here that I play with down here constantly, Jose Max and Hamachis that have been my, my school and practical school for learning how to play this stuff really. Um, yeah, and and uh, everybody else who has helped me along the way. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing yes, your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This was super cool. Um, I, I, I love talking with y'all and I'm, I'm so happy to see you guys doing this. I, I, I listened to a couple, I listened to the one with Macaco Bronco. I think I thought was really cool. And I think it's, it's so cool for you to be interviewing the people like me who are here up in the States you know, with English, but all the stuff that you guys do with the translating and getting to talk to the real people down there, I think is, is so valuable. And I can imagine that you guys have, have, have a good group of, of listeners who are getting to connect with those type of people through your program for the first time. So thank you so much for having me on. That's a, it's a stellar lineup that you guys have had so yeah, far. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's, we kind of need to make this uh connection from east coast to west coast meet in for the sure <laughs> for sure for sure you guys you know i i am long overdue for for a west coast trip i've definitely i've never been to brazil camp and that is something i would love to experience one of these days uh and whenever you guys just need to get the hell out of the cold come down to florida <laughs> <laughs> i'll be right there <laughs> Can your aunt get me on one of those standby? Flights? Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think it works like that. I think I start to lose tickets and then we have a problem for it. You know? Man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Courtney and Diana. This was amazing. I yeah, super, super appreciate it. <laughs> Right. If you want to see photos of Brian and go to his website and learn about his Pandero class, go to thebrazilianbeat.com and click on his episode, episode 99. And all of his links to everything will be there. We'll have photos up and 
And yeah, like I said, links to Miami Bloco, Groovarchi with his Pandero Modern class and um, PDR Mai. Oh, his thing. Oh, and his uh, his his essay that he did on Marcus Susano. So yeah, check it out there, thebrazilianbeat.com. I also wanted to read this full Kurt Vonnegut quote because I kind of butchered it in the middle of the prod- in the middle of the podcast. So I'm going to read it now. Practicing an art, no matter how well or badly, is a way to make your soul grow. For heaven's sake, sing in the shower, dance to the radio, tell stories, write a poem to a friend, even a lousy poem. Do it as well as you possibly can. You will get an enormous reward. You will have created something. And that's Kurt Vonnegut from A Man Without a Country. I just really like that quote because, yeah, it's just be creative. Engage that part of you and your life will just be be that much better. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Shout out to Kurt Vonnegut. (laughs) (laughs) If he's listening out there. (laughs) From beyond, from heaven. From Uh, brighter heaven. Uh, we also wanted to give a shout out to our new follows on social media. Um, and sorry, we need to post more. I've been uh, slacking on the social media duties. so It's kind of healthy sometimes to get away, honestly. It has been. It's been kind of like uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> another social media. I've been day. doing the same, yeah. But things are ramping up uh, for Carnival, so it's yeah. nice to see videos of our... There's a lot of cool stuff coming out. Yeah, our, you know, some of our guests and other, other musicians and schools. So, Mm -hmm. um, yes, share those uh, great videos. And now it's time for Jika Dugia with our Portuguese teacher from Portland Community College, Luciana Janice. Here is our Jika do Dia. <laughs> our Jika um, do Dia is when when a word in Portuguese ends in the in the letter L, like for example Brazil, or um, in, if I say it in Portuguese, it would be Brazil, or casal means couple, uh, essencial means essential. So the L at the end of the word is pronounced as U. But we don't really stress the U, so it's not Brazil, but it's Brazil, like it's like a diphthong, so it's like Brazil. So, like for example, couple is casal, so it's not casau, it's casal. Mm. Like the 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 sound before, like the beginning of the diphthong, is mm-hmm. more stressed than the U. The U, you just close your mouth as pronouncing an U. So, casal, casal. But see, you don't really hear the U that much, mm-hmm. right. but it's in there, right? So, for example, the word for plural is plural. So, plural, plural. If, when I, see, when I uh, say it fast, you barely hear the U, but it's there. But it's not mm-hmm. plural, oh, oh, like we don't say the L like in, in, in English, right? So, it's plural. Uh, is uh, essential is essential essential uh, papel is paper papel papel so yeah so we stress the air and then we say oh, papel papel so 
the words uh, that end in L are always pronounced as an U. Portugal. Portugal, yeah, Portugal e Brasil. Sensacional. Sensacional. Ótima, ótima palavra. Sensacional. Or for our listeners, chimbau. Ah, berimbau. Taro. That work, taro. Nossa, this one I don't know. Taro. Is it an instrument? Yeah, it's a little like a kaisha, but. And it, and it, how do you spell it? T A R O L. Ah, taro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taro. Taro. Yeah, exactly the same thing. So it's all, all. It's a, it's an o sound mm-hmm. at the end. And this was our chica do dia. Such a good one. They're all good. <laughs> I like them all. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like being in class only for the chica do dia. <laughs> <laughs> this quote that I saw on Twitter uh, yesterday, thought I would share it. This was from another podcaster, and they said, if you love a podcast, tell them. Sometimes it feels like we're talking into the void, and a quick message like, hey, I just found your podcast, and I love it, goes a long way. It makes my whole week when I get messages like that. So I saw that, and I thought, yeah, I get what they're saying, <laughs> and I need to go do that as well. I do, um, too. Same. Um, I have a ton of of podcasts that like some of these that I've been listening to for years mm-hmm. and I feel like I know these people and mm-hmm. maybe you guys feel that same way with us um, I know that people have reached out to us and when we have these email conversations or social media conversations it does feel like that like oh hey Diana hey Courtney we're glad that we can provide this and uh, be a connection make yeah, connections be a connection throughout the world so yes If you feel like sending us a little message, we'd love it. And thanks. Yeah. So we hope you guys all enjoyed this episode with Brian Potts. Thanks for listening. Ciao.